Hey kids, it's Rob, and this is probably the last time you'll be hearing me make this plea for quite a while. We hope you've already been continuously streaming Pixel Perfect on Disney Plus since the first episode of our December Plus series, but in the case that you haven't, we figured we would bring in someone very special to tell you exactly what we want you to do. Come on. Come on. That's your cue. Come on, tell them. Tell them to stream Pixel Perfect. Tell them to stream Pixel Perfect. God, God damn it, Danielle! Snap out of it! You said you wanted to do this! Tell them all to stream Pixel Perfect, not Danielle! What's wrong with you, Danielle? Don't just stand there in front of the microphone. Say something! Say something, Danielle! Tell them to stream Pixel Perfect! At least tell them about... God damn it, Danielle! You're making me look foolish! Danielle, just tell them! Tell them, Danielle, to play Pixel Perfect! It's on Disney Plus! Pixel Perfect! Why is this so difficult? God damn it, Danielle! Snap out of it! What the fuck, Danielle? What are you doing, Danielle? movies with rob and zach this is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre normal or off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach and i'm rob and in this final episode of the december plus series we are discussing something that has not only been built up on this podcast but been built up for myself I had never seen this movie before, but Zach had told me so much about it, and I had been so excited to watch it, and it did not disappoint. But I am building up the suspense just to drop it off. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Before we jump into this episode of the December Plus series, Zach, I actually wanted to dive into, possibly a first, a little bit of mailbag for Cinemodities. We've gotten some of our fans to reach out to us, and I wanted to uh, highlight those on air. Is that okay with you? This uh, this last episode of 2018, I feel like it's a little special, maybe. Is the spritz bottle coming out? <laughs> the last, well, Rob, the last episode of 2018, wasn't that last year? Oh, 29? We're in 2019? <laughs> oh, shit. I don't think, I, I don't know. See, I'm stuck in yesterday land while Zach's in tomorrow land, so. There you go. I think well, it's December 2020 right now. And we, uh, since Zach and I are completely confused about the date then, um, let's go right into some fan feedback. I think Zach is not prepared for this. So I don't know if uh, Zach knows about either of these things, but a few days ago, we had a comment on one of our episodes through Podbean. And oh. it was very exciting because... I checked our Cinemodities email account, and we had an email from Podbean that said, oh, you had a new comment, and it showed the comment, but it didn't say who it was from. So I did some digging on the app on my phone, and I found out that this comment comes from none other than Scott E. 
the oh. recommender of Dragon Blade. Good old Scott E. Yeah, exactly. So we know him well, friend of the show, Scott E. He left a comment on the Dark Crystal episode. So I think Scott E., once again, bold move. You didn't want to get left out of another Fans Vember episode. So you commented on the Dark Crystal. I get you. But this is what his comment said, Zach. Subtitle this episode, Rob contends with the uncanny valley and loses. <laughs> and then and then two more words to round out the comment. Great episode. So thank you, Scott E. We appreciate that. And honestly, if we did start to subtitle our episodes, this this would be perfect for the Dark Crystal one. Rob contends with the uncanny valley and loses. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that now. That was good. Yeah, that was a that was a really good one. And since we're on the topic of fan vember or fans giving or whatever the hell we called it. It's been a while since we've been in there, so I don't even remember. We got an email literally an hour ago from the time we're recording this, Zach. Oh. This is, the, this is oh. the true this is the true blind side to Zach right here. We got an oh, email yes. from none other than Emily, the suggester oh. of Aristocats, the true start of the fan member series, which was part of music movies. And so I figured... Well, since, you know, Emily didn't really get her say back in Fanvember, to end out this year and this series, we'd throw her a bone and we would read her email on air. It's a, it's a quick I, folks, one. I, I have, folks, I have no idea where any of this is going, so I'm just as, uh, I'm excited by this as you are. Yes, everybody, Zach is not up on the email. He's up on the social media. Uh, Rob's the one up on the email, okay? So, you know, checks and balances. But here we go. Emily emailed us literally an hour ago, according to my Gmail from when we recorded, maybe an hour and a half. The subject of the email is The Thief and the Cobbler. She says, hey guys, not a movie request this time. I was just wondering if you guys, especially given Zach's encyclopedic knowledge of all things Disney-related, know of or have seen the movie The Thief and the Cobbler from the 90s, and if so, what your opinions are on it. That's the first paragraph. She's, she's pointing right at you, Zach. Uh, Thief and the Cobbler. Do you, have any, do you have any knowledge of this movie, Thief and the Cobbler? It rings a bell, but I have not seen it. Okay, I'm going to keep reading the email. We'll see where it goes. Next paragraph. To give some context, I borrowed this movie from the library and watched it a few times as a kid. Over time, I ended up mostly forgetting it existed, and I thought it was something I had made up myself in a dream until pretty recently when I rediscovered it on the internet. She did not capitalize internet, which you should always do. <laughs> The full movie is up on YouTube, so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend a watch, especially while high. <laughs> she literally wrote that in the email, and I also want to note I also want to note that when she says, "So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend a watch," she did not italicize the word "highly." She made it smaller. In the email, it is literally smaller than all the other text. Emily, you're blowing my mind right now. And to continue, she says, it's a pretty surreal watch, and the animation is incredibly interesting. Here's where my interest gets peaked, Zach, this final, these final two sentences. The level of weirdness is on par with Fantastic Planet, and at the least, it's nothing like the Aristocats. Anyways, sorry for the long email. I just thought if anyone would and could appreciate this movie, it would be you two. 
best Emily. So thank you, Emily. We're getting this almost in real time. I think this is something we've, this is a first. Where's the goat scream? If we don't have it already, Zach, we need the goat scream. This is the first on Cinemodities. You emailed us as soon as we started talking to each other. And I think that, you know, this is great. We're going to check this movie out. I'm going to check it out. If anything, to, you know, rub Zach's nose in it, that he doesn't know what the thief and the cobbler is. It's not a Disney movie. It's it's a knockoff of Aladdin. That's what it is. Because the the villain is a combination of Jafar and the genie, like wrapped in the one. I don't think I know what this is. So I've I've heard of this before. Now that I'm looking up on IMDb, I have seen I have I've not seen it before, but I've seen stuff of it before. I've okay, seen it in its me, entirety. Let me look it up a little bit since I was busy reading. Few moments later. Oh God, this does look familiar. Okay, we'll get to it. Emily, good looks. Nobody, nobody wanted to be left out from Fansgiving. So but Rob, I thought everybody got one. I thought everybody got one. How are we going to do the mental gymnastics to get around that? Oh, you leave it to me, Zach. But you're right. Maybe we will have to cancel this. <laughs> See, folks, there's, he, he puts these rules into place just to shoot himself in the foot later with them. I know. I mean, that just, it just it worked out so perfectly. We literally got an email from Emily as soon as we started. Like, this is just. Lightning in a bottle, Zach. We have a fan. Can we be happy that we have a fan? <laughs> Emily, the OG Cinemodities fan. The OG Cinemodities fan. Thank you, Emily. No need to say sorry for the long email. You're you're allowed the long email. Scott, not so much. You've you've done enough with the emails. Let's slow down on those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. With that being said, that was the uh, the slight tangent I wanted to break into for this episode. I will throw it over to Zach for this final episode of December Plus with Tomorrowland. Oh, Zach, I'm ready to hear what you have to say about this one. Ah, uh, Tomorrowland. What can you say about Tomorrowland that hasn't been said about uh, Syria, the country of Syria? Um, oh, God. Where do we begin with this, Rob? Tomorrowland I think, is a... I, I think I have somewhere I want to begin. I don't know if Zach noticed this. Let's but... let's lay out this one first. We can't kind of... This is, I, don't, I, I don't want to do a Batman v Superman where we just kind of throw people into the deep end. But I, uh, I think mine transcends what we're going to discuss. No, of, co- of course, Rob. Of course it transcends. When, when do your conversations <laughs> never transcend? Come on. Okay. okay. Uh, real quick. We can cut this. You can cut this out if you need to, Zach. I was absolutely baffled after I watched this movie that this would not be on Disney+. Plus. So much so that I went digging on my own to see if it was on Disney+. Plus. It's on Disney+. Plus. It is? Yeah. No, I found that it's not going to be on Disney Plus for another two years. Oh, really? I found that this movie will be able to stream on Disney Plus on September 1st, 2021. That's the point I'm trying to share. I tried to find this on Disney Plus, and all I found was coming attractions. Oh. Wait, wait, if this is on Disney Plus, why are we doing it in this series? Because this is what we've been promising this forever. I thought we were doing things not on Disney Plus, and this is not on Disney Plus. What I found. Waking, waking Sleeping Beauty's on Disney Plus. Yeah, but that was context. That was different. We framed that, <laughs> right? Sure. Let's let's just keep saying that. Uh, I'm okay. This has but you to, told me <laughs> this has to be on Disney Plus. There's no way that it's not. When I did my searching, I found a future release date. I I, I don't doubt that either, but it's just the idea that. I, I, I don't know who, who would want the rights to this. I know that that's exactly why I searched for this. Cause I was baffled that this wouldn't be on Disney plus. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It's not on there. 
Huh? You know what, folks? It okay. Well, this is I'll, fucking Zach and I. I'll take, I'll take the W. I'll take. Have the been win talking on this. for like two hours, and we've had been having a time for the whole time right here. <laughs> How about that? It's not. Who would want the rights to this though? I I don't know, but that's what I found. I found that it's not going to be available for streaming until September first, twenty twenty one, according to the Disney Plus website. Okay. Well, I, I'll take your word for it. That's crazy, right? Because I'm with you. I think we're on the same page. This was just almost a guarantee to be available to stream. There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's a children's movie through and through as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Cool. Okay. It fits even further into December plus then. Better than I ever <laughs> thought it was going. At first I was starting out with we'd bookend the month with things that were available. <laughs> but uh, I guess not. I guess we had just the context episode. There you I've, go. Up, I've upended Zach's entire worldview about Tomorrowland. <laughs> he did, folks. He did. Just, just don't say anything to upend my worldview, all right? I got kids. Um, but no, Tomorrowland 2015 stars George Clooney, Britt Robertson, Doctor uh, House, Abertine from Vox Lux. Yes, uh, rap either like, it's every time you talk about her, you flip a coin, and if you get heads, it's Raffy Cassidy. If you get tails, it's Caffy Rassidy. Because <laughs> I I literally have had issues remembering which order her name goes in. So Rob, so she's not she's none of the above. She's Abertine. No, she's young Celeste, right? She's all of these things. She's all of us. <laughs> she's all of these things. She is one with the universe and one with us. <laughs> oh, dear. But this movie, uh, it stars actors. They do stuff. Um, there's a Tomorrowland that's not really that much exciting. Because um, you only Hal get it for 30 fucking minutes. Stupid goddamn movie. I mean, okay. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't all know right, Rob. What, what, I, okay. This is a weird feel, one because I don't know how I literally don't know how to describe this movie, Rob. We're right? having a time. The audience should know Zach and I are having a time over here. I would really like to start with my thoughts on Brad Bird. That's where I think okay, I'd like to good. start. This Go discussion. for it, Rob. Okay. So I have never been a particular fan of Brad Bird movies. Sure, I saw, you know, Iron Giant, The Incredibles when I was younger, but when I revisited them later, I wasn't a big fan of them, particularly in college when I was collecting files. A lot of people seem to have these Pixar movies on their hard drives. That's just what I found in my, my you know, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania college. Everybody loved the Pixar movies. I guess that's how it goes out there. And so one of the things that I noticed was that, you know, as I was watching or collecting these movies, I never really liked them. And I would always tell people that, you know, I would have people say to me, oh, I love The Incredibles. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, I liked it when I was a kid, but it's just, you know, kind of nonsense to me now. And I eventually said to somebody that I didn't like the Iron Giant. And one of the most you know, important moments in my life was when I said this to this person and she came back at me and said, you might not like the Iron Giant, but you need to understand where the, where the Iron Giant came from. And she told me the story, which I have since researched and found to be you know, mostly true, is that the Iron Giant was born out of Brad Bird's hatred for guns brad bird's sister was murdered her, her husband murdered her through like using a gun and brad bird was so torn up by that that he had the idea for a movie about what if a weapon chose not to be a weapon and that's literally what the iron giant is about and i don't like the iron giant still i really dislike that movie in all of its corniness but i respect brad bird as an artist for creating a movie in that light 
I wish that we could have gotten anywhere near that amount of creativity and sentimentality in Tomorrowland because this is basically garbage. I have never found anything that Brad Bird has a higher meaning to Tomorrowland, but I've always respected him with the Iron Giant, and I'm kind of let down finally seeing this movie. Not in the craziness of the movie, but in the creativity of Brad Bird. So I'm going to throw it over to Zach now because he'd been silent for a while, and I think I might have blindsided him with a little bit of Brad Bird knowledge, maybe. <laughs> no, no, I could know. Well, the the history lesson, no, I thought that was good, because I've heard that before. Um, not, nothing that you said to me was really new. Sure, kinda, sure, but I, I, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, Zach and I, like I said, I've been talking for two hours about nonsense, and then I'm coming out here with Brad Bird history. Okay, like, I did real, my homework. <laughs> real quick, I want the audience to know, I guess because it's almost a year since the episode that uh, we talked about The Grinch, and just today, much like Emily's email, I received my uh, 24-inch Jim Carrey gr- like Grinch doll. I saw it, folks. It, it exists. It exists, and it's great. And I was every time Rob was talking to me in the pre It's horrifying. I, I wouldn't the, say great. Every once in a while in the conversation where there's a lull, I'll have the Grinch respond, respond for me in my place. So uh, look forward to that throughout the recording, folks. Um, but no, getting to Brad Bird, uh, my history with Brad Bird, I know everybody kind of, uh, suckles at the teat of Brad Bird's just works. Um, I think he's a very, very gifted man, like in, uh, creativity, like in, in filmmaking guys, he's very gifted. Um, I remember when I was younger, I mean, I think I saw the Iron Giant in theaters when it came out and I remember loving it. And then maybe about, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, I went back and rewatched it. I couldn't even finish it. I thought it was horrible. Oh, um, yeah, no, on, on a story, on a story level, not on like the animation or the craft. I'm not talking about that. It's, it's wonderfully animated. Exactly. No. That's. I'm, I'm glad you say that because I think that's where both of our stories are going to come together in his yeah. <laughs> inability to tell stories or get good scripts. No, I, I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think Brad Barrett for the. I think Brad. Okay, there's a lot of context to Tomorrowland that's not out there that I want from things I've heard over time. And I don't know if we it's have how to get the we have to get to the Lindelof and stuff. Yes, but Brad Bird, we're talking about now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, but no, I'll get into the the the, the Tomorrowland story behind that because I think there's there's a lot of okay, there's a lot of Disney nonsense that that's part of why Tomorrowland doesn't work. But uh, the film that is not not the piece of the land or of the theme parks. Nin- um, nine nineteen fifty two. Not 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 <laughs> the, not the musical fest- festival like in England. Oh, yeah. I've watched those videos all the time. Those are great. I want to go there one year. Cool. Uh, but no, Brad... Brad <laughs> That's a Zach answer for you, folks. Cool. <laughs> uh, but no, Brad Bird, I I, I, I don't like the Iron Giant. Uh, the Incredibles is cute. It has its moments. I watched that, I think, last year for the first time in a while, and I think it holds up a lot better than I remember it. I don't think it's the magnum opus that everybody... I think there's maybe like three good Pixar films. The yeah, rest I don't, are, are I don't like The Incredibles. I've never seen The Incredibles 2. Incredibles um, 2 is fine. It's cute. I've, for what it, I've for never what it seen is. Ghost Protocol. I guess that's going <gasps> to come up. We'll get to that. But um, no, okay. But, <laughs> no, but getting to Brad Bird, though, real quick, trying to give a really brief uh, thing of my thing with him. Uh, Incredibles is cute. It's fine for what it is. I, I think Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is probably the best action movie of uh, the decade. Like, mm. I, je- I think it's fantastic. Um, it's so weird that, like, Mission Impossible 5 and 6 come out. People somehow think those are better. The last Mission Impossible is like three hours long, and the last hour is just Tom Cruise chasing uh henry cavill in a helicopter everyone's like this is the best mission impossible ever it's like bitch 
Tom Cruise hung outside the Burj Khalifa for like two days. No, <laughs> no, it's not that. The fourth, the fourth Mission Impossible is uh, the best, best Mission Impossible hands down, and maybe one of the greatest action films ever made. But I've also heard stories too that Brad Bird, um, the second unit did a lot of work on that film and it wasn't him oh but that that's that the was, rumor i've heard that was brad bird's first live action film yes. wasn't it yes Pro- Ghost I, Protocol? And, and i've heard yeah, that i've that's heard the only reason i think i'd want to see it so if you got a copy of it zach send it my way <laughs> sure um but yeah no I, i've heard second unit did a lot of work on that it was it was a hand-holding film for him in the yeah. sense that like because tom cruise is so hands-on with these films that it wasn't like a unilateral brad bird uh, vision and uh, what was after? What was this next? I guess this next film after Ghost Protocol was Tomorrowland, mm-hmm. and Tomorrowland. We'll get into my feelings on that in a moment. But then uh, after Tomorrowland bombed, he got kind of stuck with having to rebound with Incredibles two, which it did. It did re- quote unquote rehabilitate his image. And I think Incredibles two is cute. I think I've seen it twice now, oh, and uh, it's neat. It's it's for what it is. It's fine. Um, it's it's not as like horrible as Toy Story three or like Monsters University, where it's just like cynical cash grab the movie. Or it's oh, not okay. like or it's not like Inside Out, where it's like oh we're pandering to people who like Parks and Rec. Sure. Like, like Inside Out is Parks and Rec animated. That's just what it is. It's it's Amy Poehler. It's uh the. I don't even know the name of the actress. If I, you probably can think of her. She's just kind of like the middle-aged, like plump woman from Parks and Rec and Thirty Rock and in The Office, and that's just what it is. It's it's animated uh, NBC sitcom humor. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but no, it, it's fine. No, Brad Bird's definitely one of the more talented people. It's kind of, and this is where my thoughts are on the Tomorrowland. Um, I was I, Tomorrowland was one of those movies, kind of how like Rob describes how I describe. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy to him back like in the early 2010s where it was something that I would kind of evangelize about. I remember when they announced Tomorrowland in 2013 and they really, I wish I could have found like the initial like, like press release for it which it's out there. I just didn't really want to go like nuts looking for it. And I remember like reading it and it's like oh Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof come together to sit there, like make a film about Tomorrowland and the promise of the future that Walt Disney had in 1960, in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, I want this. I'm like, I want it. I'm like, this is great. Like, this is exactly, this is the sort of thing. Because remember, this was like right after Iron Man 3. And it was like that first taste of like, oh, Marvel has a formula now. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, like, oh yeah. god. And not just Marvel, Disney has a formula. This is like right this is like right after like Star Wars is getting announced. And it's like, okay, like wholly original property directed by one like the few visionaries left in the Disney stable. It's like game on. It's right it's about a year after John Carter bombs. It's like, okay, pumped. I want this. And I can rem- the first signs of trouble for Tomorrowland was during I think it was D23 2013 or 2015. It was one or the other. Okay. And it was a panel. And what it was, it was Damon Lindelof and Brad Bird on stage going through a shoebox of like pictures and just different like pieces of like Disney memorabilia that were like being touted as like Walt's lost, uh, oh God, a safety deposit box. That's what it was. Sure. They're t- they touting it as something like that. And I remember reading the live tweeting online. Everyone's like, this is the most boring thing in the world. <laughs> and at one point, I guess Damon Lindelof, like kind of, was like was like reading the audience or the crowd, and he goes, "The executives right now really wish we could pull George Clooney out of this box for this <laughs> for this panel." 
And that was kind of the first signs of like, oh, there's a problem here with Tomorrowland. And no, it couldn't have been D23 2015 because I read the movie already come out. So it must have been 2014. Yeah, it had to be. No, because D23 is every other year. I Whatever it was, it was one of these conventions. It was, it was like San Diego Comic-Con or it was one. Of, I forget. I forget what it was, but it was one of those. It couldn't have been 2015. It was 2013 or 2014. Okay. And, um, and. So I was still pumped for this. And to, I think I sent Rob, I sent the Rob the picture in a text message, but I'm going to uh, 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 send him a video right now. Oh, the pin? The goddamn pin, Rob. The god, I have the pin. We're, get, I, we're getting Project T. <laughs> plus Ultra, Rob. Plus Ultra. Pro, oh, it's Plus Ultra? I thought it was Project T overseas. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's see, another Rob, great Zach answer. It but, doesn't matter. <laughs> But Rob, I want to know that ever since I've gotten this pin, I've never taken it out of the plastic. God, why'd you so, make me go to Facebook? There's Knights of Vader notifications. God damn it. Why'd you go to Facebook? <laughs> I thought you said you were sending me a video. Yeah, over the Skype call. What? Did you know that Skype can do video calls? That's a off? screen share. That's not a video. That's different. You misled me. I'm suing Zach. <laughs> I want it on record that the reason why I've never gone to Tomorrowland is I've ne- never taken the pin out of the plastic. Zach so and I at, having a fucking at, time. At, How do you know it's end- linked to your DVD, your DVD, your DNA? <laughs> well, I don't know. So at the end of this recording, I am going to take it out of the cellophane and see if I go there. So look forward to that, folks. That's what you're really making people wait for? Yes. We're going to see if I can go to Tomorrowland. Do you want to go to Tomorrowland? Why wouldn't I want to go to Tomorrowland? You get to see giant robots. Gonna... There's jet. Rob, they have jet packs. It's just a lot of wheat. <laughs> it's just a shitload of wheat, Zach. And they have jet packs. And, but and I'm, saying, packs. I'm saying wheat with a T for everybody out there, not weed. <laughs> wheat. <laughs> so much a boring kind. So much gluten. Um... But no, so like I was hyped for this. I remember finding out about like the. It's funny when I went to the like the Regal Theater, the infamous theater of the uh, the Avengers Endgame, in just the last ten plus years. I remember like going opening day because I remember hearing like, oh, they have Tomorrowland pins, and I'm like, oh my god, this is so cool! It's, a, it's essentially a prop from the movie. And I yeah. go to the box office, and I'm like, I want one to Tomorrowland. And they're like, okay, here you go, bye. I'm like, where's my pin? They're like, you don't get a pin. I'm like, what did you just say to me? And a manager <laughs> came out, and this is before I kind of became persona non grata. It was like, here you go. And the manager, I'm like, damn right, there's my pin. This is why I'm here. I want my goddamn Tomorrowland pin. And I was so freaking hyped for this movie. Like, I I'd saw, read the reviews. I, I've seen Zach punch through plexiglass before. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> it is. I was so excited. I was outside the theater taking pictures with the pin that day. I was so pumped for this because it was Disney. Like, it again, it was like, and it's like anything with Disney. Like, if it does well, that means we're going to get theme park stuff. We're going to get merchandise. We're going to get all this sort of stuff. The movie does well. And like, Tomorrowland, the theme park land, has needed like so much TLC now. It's like it's not even crazy. I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago, like in the Disneyland uh, fun sing-along song video that like my favorite attraction of all time is the Carousel of Progress. And just to show you like the TLC yep. that needs this in the last week, some got drunk guy got on stage and started like playing with the guys like Butter Churner and like broke it. I'm not joking. That's a that's a real thing that happened. You can watch the clip on YouTube. <laughs> right. Um, but like, yeah, like Tomorrowland needs so much TLC. And I'm like, this is the perfect thing to like do it. And I watched the movie, and I came out, and I think there's a Facebook status somewhere that I made that says, while I love this movie, 
I have no idea how a multi-billion-dollar multinational corporation had the gall to release it to the public. <laughs> okay, and that's kind of my thing, my feelings on Tomorrowland. I've only seen it three times. The third viewing being preparation for this recording, and that's still my sentiment. I absolutely love this movie, but it makes no sense at all. Ooh. But, but there's a reason okay. why, it, but there's a practical reason as to why this film doesn't make sense. Ooh, interesting. I guess that's what I am looking forward to hear, but I guess if it's uh, if you think it's appropriate, Zach, I'm ready to give my hot take on this film. I don't think it's a hot take, Rob. I don't think you're that unique in what you're going to say about it, or at least I think you're going to say about this. I hate everything in this movie except the color palette. <laughs> Is that a hot take? Not really. No, I don't think anybody genuinely likes this movie. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I guess... Audiences I was... don't like this movie. I think it's looking at the box office returns. I've only seen it once in preparation for this recording. Like, I started this whole discussion with, you know, this is something Zach has been building up for me. And I went into it with only the knowledge of what Zach has told me that, you know, it's crazy. And I think the only plot point I knew was that George Clooney falls in love with a little robot girl. That was Damn it. Damn straight. That was all I had going was into Was I wrong? Movie. Did I lie to you, Rob? No, 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 you're not wrong. But, you know, I had no knowledge of the pins. I had no knowledge of Hugh Laurie. I knew he was in it, but I didn't know if he was good or bad and all that stuff. Governor Nix. As I went through it, as I watched it, I was really like, man, this is a movie for children. Like, children, children. With how stupidly it's written, I felt. I was screaming at my TV more than anything while I watched this. And at the end of the day, no matter how much I hated it, I have to say that, you know, Brad Bird coming from animation to live action, it's like he's shooting a lot of these scenes as almost if they're animation scenes and he's dousing them in such deep, rich colors. I have to respect that. I love some of the scenes in this movie with how much the color palette changes. But that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's, again, audiences rejected this. Nobody really talks about this movie anymore. Uh, it's not even on Disma Plus. I, it, I think I think my big thing comes from, and I want to get into more, Not sorry to cut you off, Zach, but is that this is a, a Frankenstein of a movie, I felt. Like, I never felt that any part of this story was original. I felt like it was just stolen from something else, and that really made it boring to me. Well, okay, this is the context time Tomorrowland. Was that Perfect. was that okay, they this movie had been in again, they've been working on this since I think like 2013. And like I already said, they kind of pitched it as like, oh, uh, what would happen if like very Atlas shrugged, who is John Galt? I Ayn Rand. <laughs> I'm and, I'm so glad you bring this up because one of my notes is verbatim Keegan Michael Key shows up. To describe the plot of Atlas Shrug to the audience. <laughs> well, that's been a big thing in all of Brad Bird's works. And in a lot of, like, all the SJWs on, like, Twitter and film Twitter and just the film critics sphere, they adore Brad Bird, but they hate the fact that he is, he has a Randian mindset. Is is he, that is that the case? Do you think he is Randian, or is he just oh, getting labeled as Randian? No, it has to be between. Think you think, the, whole, okay. the whole plot of the Incredibles is you have all these great superheroes, and society emasculates them. Society kind of neuters them because we don't want your help. The fact that the thing about the opening to 
the Incredibles is a man is about to commit suicide. Mr. Incredible saves him, and the man the man that tried to attempt suicide sues Mr. Incredible. That, That's the opening to yes, the Incredibles. I, I don't want to get I don't want to get deep into other messages of Brad Bird movies, but yes, the, for everyone who doesn't remember, the Incredibles does open with somebody saying the line, "You foiled my suicide attempt." <laughs> yes, and that's the whole thing, and that and that those themes carry over even into Incredibles too. Okay, and, okay, and and that's the whole thing. He in this movie's again, God, it is it's baby's first Atlas Shrugged. That's what this I, is. I I think that maybe this this is going to come up later on. I think that he's kind of going for the opposite but that that's something we well, get, we well, get to more well, of the movie yeah well no but this is what i'm trying to say though is that this movie was pitched and can I, I folks this is back when i was on twitter and people actually used twitter to like talk about movies not everything was about like how much we hate donald trump and i remember reading rumors stuff about this that again i don't know how true this was and how again, i haven't thought about this in years was that this movie was also going to have Walt Disney as a major character in it. Now, I'm not sure if that was at the script stage, because I don't think they ever cast an actor as Walt Disney, was that Walt Disney was supposed to be this weird sort of like vanguard to Tomorrowland. He was trying to kind of like, like like in the movie they mentioned, they have Tesla, Edison, Jules Verne. Um, who, who else is there? Oh who's the fourth God. one? Oh who's, who's the fourth I one? Wanna, I don't want to, Zach, I don't want to talk about this. I don't even <laughs> want to talk about this part of the movie. But that's the, but that's the Randy and part it's, of it's, it, it's, though. It's, 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 I fell. It's, it's George I fell, the guy who designed the tower. Okay, the, George The I last fell, of yes. the four, yes. Okay, and thank so, you. But but no, I we're gonna I I feel like Zach is saying so many things to me about this movie and all of I just wanna say, Zach, I wanna let you keep talking because you have, I feel, a better structure of how to discuss this movie. We have not had a movie I think how much I hate, but I feel I need to discuss every single frame of since Uh-oh. Book of Henry. This is Book of Henry level to me. Oh, how really? much I despise it. Yes. Really? This movie blew me the fuck away in a oh. negative sense. Oh my and god. And so that's why everything you're saying I want to jump in and talk about, but you know, you have a better way to frame it. But this was like I have three pages of notes on oh this Lord. movie. Like the and then plus the stuff you made me watch today about this. <laughs> to be fair, the stuff I, the one thing I made you watch was context. The other thing is possibly the greatest house MD outtakes of all time. Well, well, I mean, do you do you think it's likely that we could grow French fries? I mean, how how would we do that? Is it even <laughs> desirable that we grow French fries, seeing that French fries are merely potatoes burnt to a hydrogenated oil? Is that a good thing? Do we want to grow French fries? Don't nod. Don't nod. I did you said, did did you experience head nod. trauma when you were growing up? In the future, no one will ever go hungry as we learn to cultivate any kind of crop in any part of the world, no matter how harsh the climate. We're capable of growing whatever we imagine. Can we grow french fries? No. You're asking me if we can grow french fries. Do you think it's likely that we could grow french fries? How would we do that? Is it even desirable that we grow french fries, seeing that french fries are merely potatoes burnt to a crisp in hydrogenated oil? Is that a good thing? We want to grow french fries? Don't nod. Don't nod. I... I said... Don't nod. We can grow anything that we need. Can I go candy? We... Has anyone checked these children for head trauma? That that should forget the opening of George Clooney and Britt Robertson. That should have been the opening of the movie for the first five minutes. 
<laughs> See, Zach, this is what I'm saying. Where I I could take this any direction. I need you to 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 frame this. I I never. I was, it's funny. This afternoon, as I was eating like my quasi lunch dinner, I put the Blu-ray in. I was watching the bonus features. You have the Blu-ray of this. God damn right, I have the Blu-ray of what this. What the fuck? Oh I would have bought the steel book if they would have made a steel book for it. I had to settle for the regular release. Oh Rob, God. I have the goddamn pin to the movie still. I know. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. You did text me that. <laughs> Rob, I remember. I love. You texted I, me that before I knew what it was. I know. Those I were want, happier times. I want it on record that I agree with Rob. This film is an absolute mess, but I just love it so goddamn much, regardless. And the point I was getting at, though, back to Walt Disney, was that from what I read back, like in 2013, 14, was that Walt Disney was supposed to be this sort of like like Walt Disney the person was supposed to be like a vanguard to Tomorrowland, and then Governor Nix is the one who betrays him, and that was supposed to be the whole point. That like imagine what would happen like in Atlas Shrugged if the normies got in. That was supposed to be like it was, and that's the, like the Damon Lindelof component of this is that like okay, Brad Bird, you have a Randian mindset that we do have like our betters in the world, and they know how to do it better. But what would happen if the normies like? What's the word? Not want to say perverted, but contaminated, impeded it, on it, impeded. Yeah, well, yeah. What's it called in Atlas Shrugged? What's it called? The place they go to? There's a name for it, right? Uh, I think it's Galt Galt's Ranch. Okay, sure. Galt, Galt Ranch, I think. All right, I forget that. I've I've not done my homework on Atlas Shrugged in a while, oh, but man. that's read that's, that read that book. That's a that's I have a good it. book. Yep. I know, but it's like 800 pages, and like I'm pretty sure I yeah, can kill that, myself with it. Yeah, but it, but at least there's no. St- Stupid, like two hundred page rape, like there is in the um, fountainhead. The fountainhead, yeah. That's oh god, that's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that was kind of the, this movie was supposed to be much more intellectual and heady. And then I've read from Jim Hill, who is a Disney God. He's he's a treasure trove of Disney information. He tweeted once that this film was butchered in editing. I. I can totally see that because as I watch this final version of it, the only version I think exists, this, you know, mm-hmm. two hour, 10 minute version, which is way too long. There's so much that seems unfulfilled mm-hmm. and it seems like, you know, okay, maybe if this was a four hour movie, it would work because they would finally have time to set things up and pay them off. But instead we just don't get setups for payoffs and we don't mm-hmm. get payoffs for setups it's so mismatched yeah and that's and that's why you have the ending i'm sorry the beginning that's tacked on the ending that's tacked on and that's why it is this film apparently was was destroyed in editing i don't yeah, yeah. know i i forget the reason why if it was test screenings or if the studio got antsy about it but it was. It's one of those things where it's an. It's. I don't want to say conspiracy, and I know I'm prone to that, but I'm just putting it out there. Was that three years earlier? You have John Carter. Okay. John Carter. Think about back in the like in the early 2000s. You had the or even the late 90s. You had the prodigal sons of Pixar. You had like Andrew Stanton, Brad. Well, Brad Bird came later. He was the mid 2000s. But you had a lot of these guys that like were were super talented animation. And by the late 2000s, they wanted to like stretch their legs in live action. Mm-hmm. The story of John Carter is John Carter was uh, Andrew Stanton was was out of his depth. He didn't know how to sit there, and kind of shoot things for a big like tentpole blockbuster. 
Uh, everybody forgets that uh, John Carter of Mars was going to be Pixar's first live action release. And then during the production troubles, they, they shifted it to this, make it a general Disney release. And the film kind of came out and died. And there's the infamous rumor that Bob Iger deliberately let the film die because the Disney, uh, the Star Wars deal was on the horizon. And he figured we really don't need to pump money into this if we're going to have our own guaranteed try and true sure, space sure. franchise. And then three years later, you have Tomorrowland. And keep in mind, all the deals for Tomorrowland were signed in early 2013. This is before, even though, yes, the Avengers had happened, it was still the idea of, okay, we still need to create our own franchises. And then by the time this film came out in 2015, you already have Avengers Age of Ultron. You, they've, this that previous fall, they already announced they're doing Infinity War. They're, they've announced the entire like 45-film slate of Marvel films. So by, by the time Tomorrowland gets released, it's like, we don't need this anymore. Mm-hmm. We're not going to pump any money into it. We're just going to kind of do the basics to get it out the door, and that's it. And even the marketing, you know, I don't know how you even market this film because the film is kind of incomprehensible on a storyline like level. Um, it really, I, this film was intended to be a very heady intellectual film. And either it was destroyed during the script stage or it was destroyed during shooting or even editing. Like we know it was destroyed. We don't know. Okay. It's rumored it was destroyed during editing. I don't know. And I think that's why this film had fantastic potential and they just lost, I think they lost interest in it. It was not a priority. Again, it's another mm-hmm. casualty of the Marvel thing of we don't care anymore. Again, Star Wars too. Star Wars, The Force Awakens was in production during all this. And as, and as I've said a couple of times, Brad Bird was their number one choice for The Force Awakens up until the point of where I think I mentioned it during the Jurassic World discussions we've had that they were going to have Colin Madman Trevorrow do, do pre-production, have yeah. Brad Bird do production and that's what it was going to be. And Brad Bird's sto- answer to all those rumors has been, yes, I was offered episode seven. Every every major competent director in Hollywood that was quote unquote safe was offered episode seven. <laughs> sure. And they, and they all <laughs> turned it down because we, I don't want to touch that because it's essentially a hot potato. And yeah, hell yeah. It, I wouldn't want that. Yes, and that's that's the thing, and that Brad Bird's answer, his, his official answer has always been, I turned episode seven down because how could I pass up the opportunity of directing a two hundred million dollar original idea from Disney? And that's and that oh. was an, and that's what it was. And I don't think anyone's gonna argue about in this in the context of intellectual properties how original this is, but it's the idea that he did direct this, but at again. It, it didn't really turn out the way I think anybody wanted to. And because of this, this film had a couple of uh, casualties. First, it, it basically, I don't want to say it ruined Brad Bird's live action career, but he was forced to go back to Pixar to lick his wounds. And then on top of that, yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny, Tron 3 was in development. It's funny because Tron being the weird, like, I don't know, God, like long lost flame for Disney that Tron three was in development with Jared Leto. And like the, the Monday after this came out, Tron three was dead. Okay. And, uh, that's, and that's what it was. This film, this film essentially killed Disney ever doing any sort of, uh, original big budgeted film ever again. I, Intra- I, oh god you bring up as always zach brings up so many good points i can't remember them all but i want to talk about i think came up the writing with damon lindelof and in the sense that you know these things get greenlit and pumped out so quickly 
I don't, nobody thinks they have enough time to breathe. I don't know where this fits into what you were saying, Zach. I think it's somewhere in there. It made me think of it. But that's kind of why I love, you know, Lost, where he had, you know, no matter what Damon Lindelof wrote, how crazy it was to fit into an episode, it would have time to breathe by nature of having other episodes. I think that is an issue with this movie where the script doesn't have time to really spread its wings ever. It's set piece to set piece. To, I mean, they take like 16 different modes of transportation in this film where, you know, they have to teleport from one end of the world to the other to get to the Eiffel Tower to take a rocket ship from the Eiffel Tower to Tomorrowland. And it's just like slow down, you know, let some of these ideas gain traction. And I think that is another problem with this. And I think what you were getting at is that there's so many ideas crammed into this relatively short amount of time, right? I don't know. That's the problem with this. I, 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 as I was watching the behind the scene fe- features on the Blu-ray today, I was trying to discern if there was any sort of like shots or stuff that weren't from the final film, mm-hmm. or that are that are not in the final film. I mean, and I couldn't discern anything. I don't know. Like like Rob said, this film is all over the place. And going to like the script and stuff, I I don't know because the film makes no sense. It really doesn't. Like in any in, in both a visual way a story way, a script way. All the characters are all over the place. Like at one point in the behind yes. the scenes features, George Clooney turns around and goes, all I do is yell at like teenage girls in this. That's all I do is just scream at them. <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. It's uh, the Damon Lindelof thing is weird because yes, Damon Lindelof is one of those guys that has a lot of ideas, but he doesn't know how to execute them properly. Um, or he, or he doesn't have anybody that knows how to execute them for him. And that's kind of my, I I don't know about this movie because yes, like I am looking at this as more the potential, much like, uh, uh, what's her name? Cassie Casey. I am, I am looking at this the same way she looks at Tomorrowland as the promise of what it could be. The exponential potential of, oh, wow, we, this great movie, it was right there and, and it's gone now. Um, it's just like out of reach. And that's kind of my bias with this is that I know this is not a very good movie. It's, I, I, I can't recommend this to anybody in good faith um, other than in the context <laughs> of a cinemati in the sense of like, oh, the movie where George Clooney falls in love with a little robot girl. Uh, I, I don't know. That's the weird thing with this movie. I, I, like you said, I can discuss it, of course. But at the same time, though, it's, it's a weird film to discuss on any sort of level outside of a broad level because it's just it, – you sound like a madman talking about this like on a bit-by-bit basis. I, I would agree, and I think that leads into exactly my question. How do you want to discuss this film, Zach? <laughs> well, I think we're doing a pretty good job at it because I know obviously you have a lot of faults with it. And so I, I would imagine you're going to present your fault and I will push back upon it. But uh, I guess my only, I guess, introduction to this besides what I was saying – was uh like I remember when they were even casting this film when they were casting the lead actress they had it down to a Britt Robertson and I forget what I think her name is Naomi Scott I, she she was a uh, Jasmine in the Will Smith Guy Ritchie Aladdin okay. I remember being so excited when they ca- cast Britt Robertson because I absolutely love her um, I have a huge crush on Britt Robertson uh, she's in one of my favorite movies of all time and I was really excited for her to get kind of like her big break because other than that she'd only done like kind of like a bit things I think she was in the Steve Carell movie Dan in Real Life and I think she was also in Under the Dome and I thought it was great like wow she's really gonna kind of get the attention she deserves and then I watch her in this and she's she doesn't know what to do with this in the sense of she's just she's she's been told play happy go lucky you are the she's essentially the perpetual optimist and 
And the problem though is that like that would work, or it's funny. Her the only thing matching her perpetual optimism is like Rob said, the color palette in this movie, because everything in this movie is so bright and shiny. It's essentially her personality. Yet the yeah, at the same time though, this movie is very cynical. It's a very cynical movie in the sense of what it's trying to present about the world and the trajectory that it's going towards. And yet you have all these kind of conflicting things. Like Rob said, the film is very bright and shiny, yet it has a lot of cynical themes that are very pessimistic. And it's like, and it's all wrapped in the foil of kids movie. And it's like, oh, yeah. oh none, of this make, none of this makes sense on any level beyond just the story. Like, everything is conflicting with each other. It's kind of like putting the same sides of the magnet together. They're repelling, everything is repelling each other at the same time. And I just, I have no idea how a studio released this. I just have no idea how <laughs> someone could, like, I, I, again, you are the head of the studio looking at this and being like, Jesus. Like, this is one of those times where you look at it and you go, Jesus Christ, what are we going to do with this? It's yeah. like, I, I don't know how you, especially with Brad Bird and all this talent here, like even George Clooney, why didn't George Clooney sit there, get involved and be like, guys, what the hell are we doing here? Um, considering how selective I've seen George Clooney interview in the last couple of years. And he's like, I wouldn't be doing that. He's like, I have more than enough money. I don't have to do anything. I don't want to at this point in my life. So mm-hmm. when he does things like this, it's like, what, what was in that original script or story treatment that spoke to him? That's not here in the final product. Yeah, I I have no idea. I have no like. Clue. I love him, and in all honesty, I think I like I, George Clooney's a very smarmy person in real life, but I think he's great here as like kind of the guy that once was the eternal op- optimist. Oh, so- George, it's- George Clooney and Hugh Laurie are the best parts of this movie. Absolutely, two TV doctors finally getting to yell at each other. Perfect. I want okay. I want on the record that in the behind the scenes features, George Clooney when he's interviewed says, "I think it's fantastic that two former TV doctors finally get to interact." <laughs> Does he really say? He, I I have to. Find oh, that's that, great! I, I have to go find that clip now and insert it here because he actually says that. For Hugh and I, I think you would agree, Tomorrowland is a place where two former television doctors can finally play around. And the weird thing is that while he's saying this, they're playing B roll of them. Um, uh, choreographing their fight from the last from like the last part of the film, and after okay. he says that, I'm like, yeah, having George Clooney and Hugh Laurie argue with each other would be great, except they do it for literally one scene, and then we see them punching each other on a beach yep. for five minutes. Very I'm disappointing. Like, That's what I mean. It's like that would have been great watching Hugh Laurie and George Clooney argue over like the trajectory of the world from Tomorrowland is a fantastic idea. Like that's imagine having that level of just dialogue of them arguing about just all these existential themes. Yeah. And yet we get them punching each other in the face on a beach. I feel, I feel like that encapsulates all of my issues with this movie. Like it has such good roots of a fantastic story and it doesn't execute them well like the whole movie is about that kind of you know strive for improvement and it's almost an existential level of just being better than what our world lets us be and it just it makes it into this weird men in black action flick it's so strange but that's the thing that makes me that's the thing I wonder about this because I don't know who's to blame here. Is it the studio 
or is it test screenings that were held at gunpoint to the filmmakers' heads? Yeah, I don't know. And and that's the issue because I remember hearing stuff about this. Like this was something to get excited about, but the problem is I think a lot of times is that probably Damon Lindelof had a lot of great ideas, and Brad Bird probably didn't know how to stand up to the studio. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the problem. It's like it's one thing when Brad Bird was working with John Lasseter, and John Lasseter let him do whatever he thought was best. Yet you, it's a different group of people in the live action department, and that's probably what it was. You probably had a lot of people being like, "We need again." It's it's the Disney thing that they do now. Everything has to be like over the top commercial. And I guess the only other, I guess I'm wrong when I say uh, this was the last big budgeted live action film because we did get a, uh, oh god, uh, a Wrinkle in Time, which yeah. from what, I've, I've never seen that, but from what I've heard, it's equally incomprehensible. Oh, okay. and and. I, I don't know. Like, like Disney keeps giving these kind of like auteur esque filmmakers, whether it be Ava DuVernay, Brad Bird, uh, uh, well, I won't call Andrew Stanton an auteur, but they give them these big budgets, and then they 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 just punch them in the face with this homogenization, and they put them in the compactor of homogenization. It's very similar to what Disney does with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. They hire these talented people, then tell them you can't. We, we're not. Hi- we're hiring you just to listen to us. And that's kind of the weird like, catch-22 of all this. I can't figure out where it's like they hire these people with a vision just to tell them don't have a vision. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, know, I like, think, like I was saying before, like this to me is very much a Book of Henry-style thing. Like they have someone who just threw all these crazy ideas, and it, it just kind of almost like how it goes in the future with the studio is almost like just how, how the cookie crumbles almost type of thing. And t- Colin Madman Trevorrow was hired to make episode nine and then promptly fired. Yeah, another, exactly. another, another example of uh, the Disney homogenization compactor. It's like mm-hmm. conform or else assimilate or else. And when they hit you with the or else you get canned. And I also have to wonder too, that if something like this was that they not that, cause again, Brad bird made paramount a lot of money for mission impossible ghost protocol. And I wonder if they do that on purpose, they kind of torpedoed his film just so he has to come back to like come back home and lick his wounds. Mm, interesting. I, they did it with John Carter and Andrew Stanton. And I wonder if they would have done it again. They undermine these directors just to keep them in house. It could be absolutely. Because because Brad Bird's dream directing gig, he's always wanted to do the earthquake film based on the San Francisco earthquake of the early 20th century. He's okay. always wanted to make that movie for years. And obviously, Disney ain't making that movie. And I, I just wonder, is that, like, they want to, again, I don't know. Like, like, it's really hard to believe that Brad Bird, the person that, like, everybody forgets, too, he was on The Simpsons for how many years? He was part of that, like, yeah, absolutely, not, not the original brain trust, but, like, he's the guy behind Do the Bart Man. Run the back in a rock-like motion. Now that you got it, you think you can. Do what do the news, that's the Bart Man. Everybody, if you can, do the Bart Man. Shake your body, turn it up. That was him. Like he tells the stories about how like they animated that thing like in two weeks and everybody lost their minds doing it. And that's another thing that nobody talks about. Like you think about the Simpsons, nobody ever references do the Bartman anymore. No. Yeah. Brad Bird is a, a completely distant name in these, this day and age from the Simpsons. Yeah. It's yep, like, yeah, I, absolutely. But I wonder, I how have this... a, 
I have a f- Super Nintendo game based off of uh, Family Dog, the thing he animated for Amazing oh, Stories. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that that's literally the extent of like my experience with Brad Bird, other than the Iron Giant and the Incredibles. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't thought. About it. I guess... Oh, it's a it's a terrible game. It's a really bad game. <laughs> well, I think I think where I got a lot, I don't know. Maybe I think Blank Check with Griffin and David did. I think they done Brad Bird. Or oh, maybe, okay, okay. Or all right, they might have. I don't know. Cause, yeah, they've had to have done that. They've had to done Brad Bird. They've talked about the Iron Giant. They've talked about yeah. Um, yeah, that's where I've gotten a lot of this information from. Because uh, like I've, I've I, I haven't listened to Blank Check in like almost a year. Like they've they kind of got unbearable. Um, well, Zach, I want to I want to be the first to bestow I upon know. you six million Blank Check points. <laughs> I think I've listened to Blank Check like three times. That's the best joke I can make. <laughs> yeah, I know. Rob, Rob, did, I remember when I first started pitching Rob on Cinema. He's like, "We should model it after Blank Check," and Rob's like, "I can't stand these people." Oh, that's right. And then I listened to their episode on Big Fish, and they talked about Star Wars for half yep. of it, and I was yep. fucking angry as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny. This podcast is in part responsible because of a blank check. And Rob's like, no, Zach, no. Oh. Oh. Um, but yeah, no, Tomorrowland. Yeah, Tomorrowland, I'll, I'll let you, Rob. Give me some of your criticisms, and I'll try to push back upon them. Oh, my. Okay, okay. Tomorrowland. So uh, there's a lot of screaming and disagreement in this movie. And that's a big issue for me. I really hate the dynamic between George Clooney and Zach's going to know her name. Blonde girl, as I called her in my notes. Okay. I want on the record as I was watching this, I was referring to her as gal McFace. Gal McFace. I was actually thinking about that. Like, what is the guy McFace equivalent? Is it girl McFace? Gal McFace works very well. Uh, she is a she is a gal McFace. Yeah, she's just blonde girl in this movie. And I hated the fact that it starts with them, George Clooney and Gal McFace, like arguing about how to tell the story. And then it yeah. devolves into Gal McFace literally screaming over Raffi Cassidy. <laughs> Get up. They'll be coming. What? Who? I know. I don't know what. I, I can't get, get her in the car, Casey. How do you know my name? Just get in the car. Extermination. I saved your life. They self-destructed. Wait, AAs? Or do animatronics? They were robots? No. Advanced anthropomorph. Sure. Okay. Robots. What the f- who are you? My name is Athena. I'm the one who gave you the pin. The pin? The, oh, the, the pin! Yes. And I do wish you hadn't run off before I had a chance to give you some rather necessary context. Context? What are you even talking about? How are you driving a car? Who are you? Like, that was, I, I, I was, my ears were bleeding during these scenes. Because Raffi Cassidy is literally saying the line, shut up, let me tell you what is going on. And, yeah. and our main character is, 
and it's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, you can't be this stupid. But that goes into my other complaint to this movie is when uh, our main character, Gal McFace, finds the pin that leads her to Tomorrowland. She goes through way too many instances of walking into fucking walls. <laughs> like she like she literally is like, oh, wow, I hit a wall when I held this pin. Okay, going to do it again. Oh, wow, two times. Maybe a third time will change it. Nope, okay. And then I'm going to fall down some stairs. Like, my my note is literally, no one is this stupid. No one is that stupid to literally not get that quickly. Because the next scene is she just she just fucking figures it out, and she's, she can get to the city. I hated our main character. She was a moron. I'm going to go on. Because there was a scene I absolutely loved, except for the last bit of it. Uh, Gal Mc... What's... Do you know her name in the movie? Gal Casey. McFa- Casey. Okay. Gal McFace seems weird to me. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm, I guess I'm like, having weird sexist thoughts about Gal McFace, but Guy McFace is fine. So Casey goes to George Clooney's house. Sure. And it's a fantastic scene where she shows up, and the dog comes running out. And she dodges the dog right as it's about to like, get at her. And as she's escaping the dog, you see the audience visualizes that this dog is not leaving paw prints. And I see this because there's a clear shot of the dog not leaving paw prints while Casey is leaving footprints. And I go, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's a moment of show, not tell. And immediately it cuts to Casey looking directly into the fucking camera saying, where are your paw prints? Fuck this movie. Fuck fuck everything about this. I'm going to keep going because... Later on in that segment, Casey breaks into George Clooney's house by lighting a fucking combine tractor on I fire. Thought that, I thought that was funny. I started well, laughing I, my ass I, off. I, that was literally the point when, when George Clooney had to unlock 16 locks for a burning combine tractor, but not for a person literally walking around his entire compound finding and burning that tractor. Oh, I knew this movie was just nonsense from that point on. But... <laughs> Casey gets into the house. She finds George Clooney's, like, command room with all the TVs. George Clooney gets back into the house through his secret gateway. And he's like, you better get out of here. And she sees the fucking, like, 12 tube lights he has on on display, which is counting down. Which has been counting down from the beginning of the fucking movie. That's the start of this movie, is that fucking, like, 68-day countdown on these tube lamps. And Casey literally has the line, Is that a countdown? I want to relate a story to our audience and to Zach. As everybody knows, it's no secret I've made on this podcast. I've taught classes before on the college level. Whenever you teach on the college level, you have to have days devoted to tests. Every time I give a test or a quiz or anything that requires, you know, the students working on their own, I will always put a clock on the overhead projector. Whatever I got, whether it's through, you know, projection or my laptop, I will always put a clock for my students so they can manage their time. And I'm not kidding you. One time I finished giving a test in which I had the clock on the the overhead projector. As my students were leaving, the teacher for the next class came into the room. The teacher, 
the teacher looks at the screen I have playing, which is a clock. And then he looks at me and goes, something's wrong with your timer. It's counting up. And I look at him and I go, are you, are you kidding me? It's a clock. Like you couldn't realize it's a clock. This dude never talked to me again. I saw him every day, three days a week for 13 more weeks. He, well, probably 11 more weeks when I gave my first test. He never talked to me again. But that's how I see this movie. Casey is as dumb as this moron. I don't think this, this dude probably isn't a dumb, he's probably not, he's probably not dumb. He's probably a very smart person. But I have very little respect for anybody that just immediately has a reaction to something they see. And that's what Casey does in this movie. She breaks into George Clooney's house and literally we get a five minute segment of her looking at everything going, what's that? What does that do? What does that do? Oh my God, what does that do? And it is the most annoying shit I've seen in a movie in a long fucking time. So Gal McFace hated her hated her beyond belief i wish she would have died but we're gonna get to the end of this movie the last 30 minutes of this movie i have more problems with than anything else in the known universe so um i i kind of lost track of where i was going with the story zach i just started ranting but so i think i think we covered the first two acts when 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 gal mcface is stupid and then gal mcface is stupid with george clooney right Okay. The thing about <laughs> okay, I, I I am very partial to Britt Robertson, like I've said. She is being she's she, like a thirty year old woman playing a fifteen year old. It she, makes no sense. Okay, that's the thing. First thing, I, I I've seen this now three times, and every time I watch this, I cannot figure out how old she's supposed to be. They refer to her as a kid numerous times, but clearly she has a driver's license, and I can't tell. She's just like Rob said, she's like twenty five. She just has and a phone. I, she doesn't have a driver's license. She has a phone with a like a. No, she, driver's license. Drone no, app. She has a driver's license because we Probably see it at one fake. point. She printed that shit out on her dad's <laughs> computer. I don't trust her as far as I can throw it. But I can't figure out how old she's supposed to be because she has a driver's license, which means she's at least 16. But at the same time, though, she doesn't seem to like go to school like in a like what eight to two sort of way. She seems to be like a college student, but she's always referred to as kid. I, I agree with you there, and I completely ignore it because she's so stupid. I know. I know. She's stupid. <laughs> but I think the reason why is that she's being misdirected by, by Brad Bird, whoever was in charge, because she was told – like she probably went to them because I've seen her in other things, and she's really good when she wants – she is. She can be really good when she wants to be. And the thing is is that I think she was told to play like a child – she was play, she, eh. she was told to play this role as if it was a kid on Christmas morning. And she was never told to rein that in in certain scenes. That's the problem. I don't think she was ever told. I think she. I think she probably wants him to say, "Okay, how do you want me to do the scene? Uh, you're all. You're learning all this new stuff for the first time. It's whimsical. It's fantastic. You're in awe." And I think they never told her to rein it in. So it's again, it's not up to the actor. To, to, to kind of decipher the scene it's up to the, the director to be like to direct them and be like okay in this sequence you tone it down if the director is telling them to do something especially brad bird you're kind of you're not george clooney you're not going to do whatever you want and that's kind of the thing with this and again i agree with you yes yeah, she does do some dumb things but i don't think that's on the actor's fault i think the thing about her in the house where she falls down the stairs and then eventually concludes with her wading into the swamp which if that were real life should be should be dead in an instant considering that's oh, yeah. florida um 
I think that sequence of her like kind of bumping into things, I think probably a test screening or a studio note was needs to be funnier. Not enough jokes. People need jokes in these movies. Again, it's the Marvel light, the Marvelization of everything where everything needs to be equipped. Everything. Need, if people, if every moment isn't, uh, uh, what's the word? Oh God. Underscored with a joke. It's not working. And I think that, that was the thing. I think they probably realized mm-hmm. film probably wasn't testing well with kids. So they had to put a lot of kind of slapsticky stuff in here for that reason. That's why you have the sequence with um, Keegan Michael Key and it's like so over the top because you, I think it probably was we need we need more goofiness. It needs to be more silly. The movie's too serious. And I think that's what probably happened with this movie. It probably started off as a very serious science fiction drama film. And then over time, the studio homogenized it into a kiddie comedy. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm I'm even like getting at the finer details because I, I think on a whole, I agree with you on the fact that it's the director's fault. Absolutely. There is some issue with the performances for sure, but more so the director's fault with some of those ideas like Keegan-Michael Key we were discussing, but even the, like, I that's why I say this has like a Book of Henry feel to me, because even down to the minor details, like Casey, Casey jumps over a fence into the NASA compound. Like, she breaks into the NASA compound by jumping over a fence, and as soon as she jumps over the fence, she takes her helmet and mask off. Like, what the, like, fuck, like, this is, I don't care if it introduces us to the character, that's a stupid decision, and that, that's my problem with this movie, that every level has its issues. Yeah, but I think, okay, Rob, you also have to remember, this is a Disney kids movie, this is not supposed to be a super serious, again, Rob, it's tomorrow, well, that's, that's, it's not see, Mission that's Impossible. My, that's like, that's my rock bottom. When I when I think a movie is bad beyond belief, then it gets the moniker of kids movie. When I say this is a kids movie, I mean it's oh, a no. kids movie because literally no one can get into this other than a small child without no, understanding I, the flaws of it. This is I, a nightmare through and through. You have fucking six minutes of Hugh Laurie screaming about the death of bees. No one, no one. The only people who will like that performance are people that don't understand. English language, and that's young children. That's no, this well, movie. Well, yeah, I know. There's just it's a compar- Okay, Rob and I are arguing different. It's a matter of preference. I think the objective way to look at this film is incomprehensible. Rob's taking it as he he. It's bad, and it's it's. it's yeah, bad. that's. <laughs> it's, it's, well, it's, obviously it didn't work for people But I think that's the subjective way Of like reading the film I think this movie has a lot to say And it got lost in translation Combined with a parent company That didn't allow the fa- filmmakers To find their footing That's how I see it. I don't think anything I think they probably had a really great idea And just over the course again, You wouldn't get, you wouldn't get uh, George Clooney To sign on to this film If the script they presented him with was the same one that we're seeing uh, as the final product. That's there's okay. no way. There's okay. no way George Clooney would sign on to a kids film. Well, that's, of this, a, of this that's a fair. That's a fair point, and I think that's what I was hoping you would give me more insight into. Because you know, when I watch this movie, it's very surface level. It's just like, oh my god, I can't stand any of this. It makes no sense. It, yeah, that's but, fair. But I of course, there there is a big filter of. The, the the Hollywood machine. You know, I can't imagine this is exactly what Brad Bird wanted. I can't imagine this is what 
uh, George Clooney wanted. I can't imagine this is what Rafi Cassidy wanted with whatever her comprehension of this film was. <laughs> in all honesty, I think she, everybody in this film, she's the only person that gives an actual good performance. Oh, she's the best part of this movie. Rafi Cassidy is is literally like the greatest thing of this movie. Yes. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad we agree about that because that's the only thing I really wanted. I and like literally even Hugh Laurie. I love Hugh Laurie from every end of the spectrum from his music to his acting to everything and even he was just like okay i'm gonna choose scenery and it was just like raffi cassidy was the one who was like damn where, where did they find this girl you know she, she's crushing it <laughs> i think if i it feels like a lot of hugh laurie scenes were reshot because he's in the very beginning of the film for like two minutes and then we oh, don't yeah, see and he's, him and again. he's terrible he's terrible in the beginning well, I don't know if he's terrible. He's doing, but he's, it's just, he's the villain. And it's our first taste of the villain. It's like kind of like the, uh, uh, God, what's her name? The queen from Snow White, where the evil queen. Sure. Uh, sure. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Am I the fairest of them all? That's, that's his like very brief introduction in the beginning where he's condescending. Like, what's it going to do for me? What's, what's the purpose to this? And, if it doesn't have a purpose to him, it has no purpose. And then the problem is that we have a villain that disappears for 90% of the movie and then shows up in the last five. True, true. Like, again, like you go to Tomorrowland, and it's him and a couple of henchmen, and we get no explanation as to why Tomorrowland is a broken shadow of what it once was. Yeah, yeah. That's and why how I think does... a lot of that was explained. It was either taken out of the film and editing, or they just never filmed that portion of it. You know that that's kind of the sense I got. It it was very weak. It was very you know loose, and I wish it was developed more because Hugh Laurie's great. I love him as an actor. You know his performance. I love him chewing scenery. It's it's fantastic. But I felt like a lot of this stuff was just kind of you know minimalized like he was stripped down to his barest elements of his performance that's, he that's was just what, a villain with a monologue at the end but of that's the what it is because you think about it hugh laurie's a busy man like he's always he's another one that's always working whether it be tv film stage so if you have because a lot because again reshoots are are uh, worked into these guys schedules before they even sign on and that's with they probably had probably a couple days, probably a week with him. So they needed to get as they got they had to condense his character as much as possible in the reshoots. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's and why yeah, it's a bummer. And I think that's probably what why it suffers so much is that probably Britt Robertson. I think think about it, even George Clooney. George Clooney was on all the posters. He was in all the marketing. He was he's on the goddamn Blu-ray cover. Yet he only <laughs> shows up for the second half of the film. And I think part of that was because they probably didn't have enough time yeah. to reshoot his stuff. And that's why his character goes from like jaded, cynical man to like, no, no, Governor Nix, you have to listen. Like he does like he turn his character turns on a dime and we don't even see that turn. It's just mm -hmm. he, he goes from we can fix it out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 disjointed for sure. And I think there was a lot, like you said, we go from like, okay, first we're going to Texas to figure out what the pin's about. Then we're going from Texas to George Clooney's like compound. Then we're going to George Clooney's house to the TV station for some inexplicable reason. And then we're going from the TV station to the Eiffel Tower. Then we're going from the Eiffel Tower to Tomorrowland. Then we go to Tomorrowland. Then we go to the top of the giant sphere. And it's like, oh. The reason why we're doing this is because the test audience has probably said, 
audiences like spectacle. Plus, mm-hmm. we can't we can't redo that sort of stuff. So it's like, okay, we'll just glaze. We'll, like, we'll try to reshoot the exposition and condense it as much as humanly possible. Absolutely. And that's why I think this is. I don't think th- this is film is probably if it weren't for the fact. And I want the audience to know. I really for a while struggled where to place this film because this film was in like three or four different series. Oh yeah, for the longest time because originally it was like in the 2010s, like Gonzo Disney blockbuster series. It was another. It was in the incomprehensible blockbuster series. Which yeah, when I a peek behind the curtain when I up was updating the spreadsheet last time and you know going through our individual lists, I had to cross this off of a good bit of series yes. we had. Yes, yeah. it's it's in three or four different series because it's also in the series too. Where I or I don't think I've ever said it before, even to Rob. It's films that really shouldn't even like they're not even films because they're not finished products. It's like a Josh Trank's. Four stick, where it's like you have a film that was butchered in editing. There's no voice to it because mm-hmm. there, if there even was a voice, it's been Frank. Like Rob said Frankenstein to death, and that's kind of where I can't call this good or bad because it's not a product. It's kind of like just a mess. It's like if somebody bakes a cake and it blows up, you can't judge it as a cake. You can judge it as a mess. But you can't judge it as a cake because it never got to that point. It never got exactly. to the, it never got to the finish line. Yep. And that's why when Rob keeps saying this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, like I get that for like a men, women, and children or book of Henry, because I can't see uh, Jason Reitman or Colin Madman Trevorrow really having any sort of meaningful interference on those films. This film, you can you can see the studio exec fingerprints all over it. Thus, oh, okay. I can I cannot declare this bad because no one was ever able to, and maybe it is their fault because maybe Brad Bird, Damon Lindelof didn't push back, or maybe they felt so undermined by the studios that they felt they didn't have an ally. Again, the buck stops with them for the same reason why if this was a billion dollar film, Brad Bird would be taking credit for it. He also has to take the brunt of it because it was a it was a dud. And that's that's why again, it's a dud. I can't argue that. When Rob says it's bad clearly because nobody likes it. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> but at the same time though, when it comes to cinematics, I don't think we can declare a film like this out and out bad the same way we can declare a book of Henry bad because the like again, Book of Henry is Colin Madman Trevorrow's film. It's yeah. his film through and through. This is not a Brad Bird film because clearly he wasn't able to have the say he wanted to on it. And we do, and we do have evidence because there is rumors and gossip that oh, the film was butchered during the editing process. That's a that's a good point, and I totally agree with you. You know, there is a lot more going on behind the scenes than just watching this film for sure. Um, and that's exactly why we're discussing it. I think to some extent, you know, not only that it's not on Disney plus because Zach clearly didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love that feature. You know, we can't really call it bad or good. It's not that clear product. And I, I think, you know, I kind of felt that same way that it was more of this movie seemed like it was piecemeal. It, it didn't seem like a full product. It seemed like it was this Frankenstein kind of piece of artwork almost. And, and that's what I had issue with. On a grander scale, I think. Well, okay. When Rob eventually watches Josh Trank's Fan Four Stick, he's going to say, "Oh, I get it now." He's because it's, it's the same. Because <laughs> <laughs> that film's almost identical to this in that sense, where it, it's a film that's just a hodgepodge of things happening. Okay. It's, jar- okay. it's a lot of jarring moments that go nowhere. There's a lot of things that are set up but not paid off. There's a lot of payoffs that aren't set up, and that's what this is. It's it's just another one of those examples of just. 
the studio cannot leave well enough alone. It's it's kind of like the same thing that happens with like anything like a Han Solo or Justice League, where it's like, okay, if this film costs two hundred million dollars and it's a mess, how is pumping? A, it's like Justice League. Like we talk, it's mm-hmm. very you know, it's in the same camp as Justice League, where it feels so disjointed. It's all over the place. It's the idea of why not just leave, leave well enough alone? And I think this is one of those instances, whereas with Han Solo and Justice League, where they pumped an additional like eight to nine figures into the budget, this was one of those instances where it's like, no, we're just going to write this off. Sure, sure. It, it, there's, no, there's no weight or momentum of the brand at stake. Whereas they can't write off Justice League because this is the crescendo of our cinematic universe. This isn't the this isn't the origin story of one of the most famous characters in pop culture. Um, they don't ha- again. They don't have that luxury with those films. But with Tomorrowland, it's like if this dies, no one's outside of Zach and maybe a handful of people. No one's going to care that we ruin this grand vision of of a potentially original concept. Yes. Yes. Okay, where okay, where where are we going next? Where are we going next? Well, okay, I I, I feel like my thing's gonna be every time you have a criticism, I'm gonna just use the general blanket response of it's not like, their fault. Well, yeah, because this movie makes no sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, and that's why I think it's. I love this film. Is that again? It's in the same vein as the Lone Ranger, as Oz the Great and Powerful, as Tron, as John Carter, where even though Tron Legacy probably makes the most sense out of all those films, and I still have never seen A Wrinkle in Time, it's the idea that I think it's fascinating that a multi-million, uh, multi-billion dollar corporation can just get it so wrong sometimes. Like, think about it. They have all the resources sure. in the world, yet this is the final product. And it's like, if somebody gave Rob and I $200 million dollars, with the same script, I think we probably could have done a just as incomprehensible job, if not slightly more comprehensible job. Oh, our movie would be intentionally incomprehensible. <laughs> I don't know, but like, could we make a more incomprehensible film on purpose than this? Uh... Like, I, I'm not talking about like on purpose, where we're deliberately being like bizarre. I mean, like, if we were given a script in two hundred million dollars, could and we it would all a... would it all fall apart like this one did? <laughs> that's what I mean. It's like, like would ours? Fight? Okay, yeah, I don't think yeah. so. I think that's the fascinating part of this film is that, like, you have, yeah, you, know, you have George freaking Clooney. Like, this isn't yeah. like this isn't like Book of Henry with Naomi Watts and Sarah Silverman or uh, Men, Women, and Children with uh, Ansel Elgort. Like, this is George freaking Clooney. This is the guy that can, like, it's like. Oh God, the the top, the pinnacle of like Hollywood stardom, and he stars in one of the most incomprehensible films of the last decade. Yeah, and that's a good point because you know this movie really does kind of rush through its stuff. You know, we haven't even mentioned that we don't get to Tomorrowland for you know ninety minutes of this movie, and when we finally get to Tomorrowland, it's like the plot completely changes. There's almost no plot beforehand even. The, yeah. the plot prior to the 90-minute mark is they have to get to Tomorrowland. And then once they get to Tomorrowland, it, this, this becomes the same movie as Paycheck, where they invented a way to see into the future, right? Yeah. That was one of my notes. I think one of my notes, I don't know where it is, but it was literally like, oh, this is Paycheck. Oh, yeah, I wrote, wait, so this is also Paycheck. Also Paycheck. <laughs> because I prior think- to this, I talked about how this was a, a multitude of other things. I think that that ending about the, having a, a device that can see the future, I think that was done out. I think that was a reshoot too. 
Really? That, like because, the whole third act point? No, I well, no, I th- I do. I think the whole third act was reshot because again, and. I told you all of Hugh Laurie stuff comes out of nowhere. I True. think I think that's why Tomorrowland doesn't show up to the final third of the movie is that it's just they 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 clearly something didn't work and they had to scrap it and redo it. And yes, that part is my right. own conjecture. And I think that's why the Hugh Laurie thing is so condensed. I think that's why the ending comes out of nowhere. And that's why they had to tack on that beginning with George Clooney in the narration where they're yelling at each other. But that I doesn't think... work either. But, but like they should but... they should have combined them. Like why even have George Clooney make him the bad guy that gets turned to the good side at the end? Like why even separate those two? Because who knows what this? Because remember, Rob, they shot one entire. It's like Han Solo or Justice League. They shot one entire film for whatever reason, thought it didn't work, and they Fuck. had to redo it. But it, it's like anything else; it's for money. They had to Fuck. salvage as much as the original thing they could. I don't. Fuck. When I say fuck, my microphone gets red. Means it's too loud. <laughs> God damn it! I hate that though. I I know. I understand what you're saying. Like I can't debate against it because that's how the. Hollywood machine or the studio machine works, but I, I can't stand that stuff. I know, it, it, but that's the thing, though, is that like until people stop paying to see the Black Widow movie, <sighs> where it's literally the exact same thing happening, we're never going to get. They're never going to stop interfering until audiences stops and stop saying we're good. No more. This crap, stop feeding us crap burgers. They're going to keep doing it because clearly, again, that's why, as much as Rob keeps saying Tomorrowland is bad, like, yeah, it is incomprehensible. But I would rather, like, going back to the inaugural episode of Cinemodies, I would rather have Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, any day than Captain America Civil War. I would, I would rather have the admirable failure than the safe success. Give me the film that swings for the fences and cannot even get a single. I would rather Perfect. have that. But until we stop disparaging these films, like, yeah, is this incomprehensible? But at least it tried. I, I completely agree. I don't remember if I agreed with you back at the start of Cinemodities. It's been a long time. And, of course... <laughs> We've bled off on each other to some extent, but I totally agree with you now. Like, I would rather have this than another goddamn superhero movie, you know? That's what I mean. And this kind of is, like, in that same... Yes, is it a kiddie, family-friendly film? Sure. But that doesn't mean kids can't enjoy it. Like, you can... Like, I'm not saying, like, heady, but you can make a film that doesn't pander to children. Like, I think that's maybe what they were going for originally. They were trying to make like a science fiction film that wasn't going to pander and just be like, oh, look, uh, uh, football or what's, what's the Simpsons thing? Uh, football and groin. Like, it wasn't going to be that. And then the studio gets a hold yeah. of it. And when they, again, everything has to be the same thing. Audiences want Captain America 12. Audiences want Rocket, Rocket Raccoon saying, how much for the arm? Oh, my they God. Want, yeah. They want that. That's what the audiences want. They want that Parks and Rec humor. And so when you do make a movie that involves, like, dystopia and all these weird, like, like uh, oh, God, a George Clooney kid who's thrown out of the Garden of Eden and is jaded and cynical about going back. Like, how do you sell that to people who want how much for the arm? Like think like, like look look at the summer look at the summer of 2015 for Disney. You have Avengers: Age of Ultron, Tomorrowland, Inside Out, Pete's Dragon, which died, and and you have these films. And look what succeeded. 
Inside Out, which, like I said, is 30 Rock meets Pixar. Mm -hmm. Avengers Age of Ultron, even though that film underperformed, still, it played within the wheelhouse. And then you have the films that try to do something a little different and outside the box, Tomorrowland and Peach Dragon, and guess what? They get punished. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's that's the and guess what we are feel much like any of these studios we feel the ramification of those decisions years later. There's a reason why now Disney all they release is Frozen Two, Maleficent Two, Star Wars Episode Nine, Lion King remake, Toy Story Four, Avengers Endgame. There's what's safe and familiar. Yes, I recognize this thing. I will give it my money, and they're playing it, and they're playing into that. And they're never going to stop playing into that until audiences say no more. And based on the fact that people are excited about a goddamn Black Widow movie, it shows the fact that we're, 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 we are still a long ways away from audiences getting wise to it all. <laughs> oh, my God. What a hell we live in. <laughs> it's true. That's why, again, like Rob and I, much as Rob and I complain about like Avengers, like, even though we kind of lauded Avengers Endgame, it really is like, oh, good Lord, it is the ultimate cancer on creativity in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. 100%. But yeah, and that's why, even though Tomorrowland, to use Rob's word, not mine, is that it's no good, terrible, bad, it's at <laughs> least not Avengers Endgame. I will give you that. For sure, because, you know, it was kind of, I do have to say, with all this stuff we do on Cinemodities, or any movie I watch and review to some extent, you will always have something up on a franchise if you're not part of a franchise, for sure. And that's why I think I was definitely excited to watch Tomorrowland, because it was something I'd never seen before, and it's not something I had any preconceived notion about. And that that's something, that's worth something today, for sure. Yes, and that's why I, I kind of love this movie, is that they tried. It, again, it's, it's the Disney's equivalent of Batman v Superman. We're going to take Batman, Superman, throw in a ton of 9-11 imagery, and make them hate each other. And that's, that's what it is. It's, it's taking It's a very cynical film from a place that you don't expect to be cynical. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, just to clarify, you know, when I describe this as a Book of Henry-level film, I just want to make sure Zach and our audience understands, you know, I love Book of Henry because it's one of the worst films I've ever seen, but there's so much to say about it. That's what I'm saying about this film. I hated it down to its core, but goddamn, I'm ready to talk about it. And that's very special, you know, that that's why it's better than that superhero film, because as Zach knows, superhero films to me are in one ear at the other. There's no point discussing. There's no point thinking about them. And this gets a very different pedestal because it's so weird that it's worth discussing. Well, yeah, it does. It, it's you can't throw this one away just because it didn't it didn't turn out well. Just because it tastes bad doesn't mean you can throw it away. It's too unique like that. Absolutely, it's 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 a shit show through and through. But I I will always talk about this movie from here on out. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, Tomorrowland. Uh, unless you have more things to complain about, I don't think is that a countdown. <laughs> is that count? Is that thing that you have counting down a countdown? <laughs> I could, I could. If you want me to go through, I have some highlights of stuff I absolutely hated about this film. <laughs> if you want me to go through that, I also have some questions that maybe you could uh, shed some light on, possibly. All right. Uh... 
You want to throw how, it over to me, how, Zach? We how, doing about we, this? how about we go? We, we kind of go back and forth between complaints and questions. We just don't just hit the audience with so much negativity. You, you want to do a? Uh, you want to do like a tits for tats, McGee, over here? Sure, sure. Let's do a tits for tats, McGee. Okay, let's start with a complaint then. How about that? Or do you want to start with a with a question? I am ready, sir. Let's start with a complaint first. Okay, we're going to start with a complaint. So, I think my my. Biggest complaint is that what what is the purpose of Keegan Michael Key and Catherine Hahn? Do they just monitor one stationary place to look for this pin? Like, what is their purpose? How do they exist? Because it's shown in the movie that they're robots. They they are found by Casey through this film because they have an ad looking for this Tomorrowland pin. Is that just all they do? They were installed by the people who don't want anybody to find Tomorrowland to just sit there? Like, am I missing something, Zach? They, in what, my what opinion, is the point of that shot? They, they, they are their sequences are a relic of the original incarnation of the film. Uh, you, you think once, that was something you, that was cut? Okay. Keep in mind the moment that our three protagonists get to Tomorrowland, none of Governor Nix's subordinates are robots. True. They're all they're all real people. True. And that's that's what it is. I think the think about it, even the, the henchmen that come after them throughout the entire film. And like I told you, that last third act feels like it's been completely reshot. Okay. I think I think Keegan Michael Key and the woman in the uh, comic book shop or just I don't know memorabilia shop, yeah, and Kath- even Catherine that in the henchmen, Catherine Hahn, Catherine Hahn, excuse me, they uh, they they are relics or leftovers from a film that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, int- okay, okay, fair. Uh, while we're on that scene, I absolutely love the uh, that might be my favorite sequence in the movie when uh, young Raffi Cassidy. Or a robot, Raffi Cassidy, I should say, shows up and they fight. And Keegan Michael Key throws Raffi Cassidy into Gort from the day the Earth is <laughs> yep. still. Yep. Like that's fantastic. I love that sequence. The time bomb, I think, is great. That's the good fun to this movie. And immediately afterwards, uh, there's some exposition, of course, but I do want to mention probably my favorite scene in the movie. Raffi Cassidy gets blasted by a pickup truck. Like yep. absolutely yep. fucking wrecked by a pickup truck, and it's hilarious. Did you laugh at that, Zach? Or oh is yeah. That just oh, me? of course, of course, <laughs> Rob. I laughed at that before beforehand, folks. Him, Rob and I were laughing at a cancer PSA video. Um, <laughs> we don't need, we don't need to give too much of a peek behind yeah. the curtain. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but that oh yeah, that was great. I, I was I forgot about that scene while I was watching it, and I'm like, oh good lord. Oh, it's so fantastic because Raffi Cassidy is right in the middle of like saying a line of dialogue, and she just gets fucking yep. murked by this yep. truck, like blown yep. away. Oh, it's so funny. And then Casey <laughs> gets in the truck and steals it. Oh yes, of course. She, you know, she's like the the driver's like, "Are you okay, little robot girl?" Even though I don't know you're a robot, and Casey just steals the truck. Oh, oh yeah, that that was good fun. I love that whole sequence of when you know the the uh, the memorabilia shop blows up and the the robots show up. That's see, that's where I was kind of on board with this movie, but then it just falls apart completely. Because Casey gets dropped off at George Clooney's house and they have to just bicker for the next half hour, and it's annoying. <laughs> well, okay, that 
Yeah, she gets well. That's part of it too. That seems weird. That seems like it was reshot too because she gets dropped off for no other reason than okay, let him deal with you now. Yeah, I, think, I after I, after telling her how important this person is and how they need to all meet each other again, I, she I, leaves her there, and it's because, like fuck. Because you're right, like, you're right. Like they're I, missing a narrative arc right there. There's, there's a there's a plot beat that's missing there. Yes, and like I told you, that entire sequence features the robot henchman, which is probably le- again, it's a, it's an action sequence. So they couldn't get rid of it because it's too expensive, and they probably couldn't redo it in time. And that's what it was. And I think most people in the reviews I remember reading back in 2015, and I agree with them. The best sequence of the entire film is that like, uh, oh god. Home Alone, Kevin McAllister chased through the house where he has all these booby traps set up, all these elaborate <laughs> traps. And and that's really the only time in the entire film where the creativity really feels like it was allowed to flourish <laughs> because there's so many clever little kind of just gags of them trying to like beat these robot henchmen, even when she's beating them in the head with the baseball bat. I Yeah, I had a love-hate relationship with that part. I'm actually glad you brought this up, especially because you talked about Home Alone. My note verbatim. George Clooney just turned into Kevin McAllister from Home Alone, and I hate how ambitious this movie has become. This is where I really was like, oh my god, they're throwing too much at us. Like, this is not streamlined. I just want a story. Yeah, I I, I, I enjoyed that visually, but on the whole arc, I couldn't stand it, you know? That's why I felt this movie was too overreaching. They were trying to, trying to throw too much at us. Yeah, I, I, but that's the thing though. Is I don't know if it's overdoing. I think it's the fact that it's just an amalgamation of everything else. I think that's like we're True. watching, we're watching two different movies trying to be grafted together. Except the first movie probably was cohesive, and the second one was never a movie. It was just it, bits and yeah. pieces, just play, kind of just stapled on top of it, hoping that we wouldn't notice anything. That's, that's a really good I, point, and that's something I think I would, I would now after this discussion, I would love to rewatch it with that lens because that's a, a, of course not where I came from in the first viewing of this for sure. But you make good points, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's kind of the the big thing with this is that like you can tell, like you really can't tell. It's it's not as obvious as something like. Uh, Oh God, uh, Kate Mara and Fant Forstick where her wig changes. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's not that easy identifier, but I do think it's there because certain characters disappear, certain characters reappear, certain characters yeah. just kind of change. It's a mishmash, and it doesn't, and nothing, nothing seems to line up in the way it should. Yeah, and it's a shame because I think the original product again. Forget the release the Snyder cut, release the Bird cut. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a great time. To bring up a, a very strong opinion I had about this film, or about one of the okay. characters in this film, um, Raffi Cassidy, she's great. I love her in this. I love her in Vox Lux as young Celeste and Abertine. Um, I think those are the only things I've seen her in, but she's great. Maybe she was an episode of Law and Order. I don't remember. But on terms of this movie, the moment she's revealed to be a robot, mm-hmm. fuck her. Fuck her. She. Everything from Knights of Vader, my hatred of droids, carryovers to audio <laughs> animatronics in oh, Disneyland. Pause, 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 oh, pause, pause, what? pause. What? When they use the term audio, okay, I think Rob was about to say it, but audio animatronics. Yeah, is the Zach, word Zach, that, Zach wants to take the Disney beat yes. for me, right? Yes. yes. Okay, go okay, for it. <laughs> when I, when, again, if anybody knows, like when you go to Disney World, any of Disney parks, it, it is their term for any of their like automatons. Their term ever since the days of Walt has been audio animatronics. Yes. Whether it be Country Bear Jamboree, Carousel of Progress, even Rise of the Resistance, Kylo Ren. He is an audio animatronic. It's a term for a stationary prop in a ride. 
So the fact that they used that term for oh. a robot, I was so angry. I, that, that was one of the very few times I was screaming. I forgot about that, too, where I think something came up and they're like, she's an audio animatronic. I'm like, F you, movie. That's not your word to use. You I haven't wasn't heard the right even, to use that word. I wasn't even thinking about that. You're absolutely right. But that's angry. what I found I in my angry. research. When I looked up, I was like, why are they calling them audio animatronics? That seems ridiculous. Yep. I found exactly what you just said. They are stationary characters. And it didn't make sense to me. Because, yep. once again, fuck. Robots. <laughs> robots should never have sentience. They should never feel feelings. I love the scene in this movie where George Clooney screamed at Gal McFace. This little bitch doesn't care about you. She's just ones and zeros. I know all about her surprises. Chief among them is this. She doesn't care about you. All that charm and the, and the sense of purpose and the cute little smile. It's all just software. It's ones and zeros. That's it. Trust me, when you get there, you're on your own. I, I like love that, that scene, <laughs> but then the movie undercuts itself by saying, I am able to feel George Clooney. And I was like, fuck you. Fuck everything you've ever stood for. We'll get to that. The last half hour is a very special thing with this movie. We haven't gotten to it yet. Um, but <laughs> I, hate, I hate droids. I hate robot sentience. And this movie just fell into that place. But it's an interesting idea you bring up with that whole kind of, you know, use of Disney terminology that doesn't appropriately fit. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that term is ever is used in one of the reshoot parts. I don't I don't know. There's there's so much in this movie that's just kind of so weird and uh, non-cohesive that I don't know. You know, I just said it. A lot of times I have no idea where it begins and ends, and that's one of those sure. times. Sure. I do, I do want to mention, as we already said, uh, I think Zach and I agree, Raffi Cassidy is a great performance in this film. I'm just saying I hate the concept of sentient animatronics. Or yes, yes, yes. I think, like I, th I think the audience is be, well aware of that at this point, they should be. They should be eradicated. Like, I'm talking final solution. We, don't, <laughs> we do not need robots that can mimic humans. We need to kill them as soon as we can. Is that a hot take these days? I don't even know. Are we going to get sued by somebody because I hate what? I hate robots? Is there some sort of weird sexual thing like now, like something sexual where it's like robosexual? Is that probably a thing, right? Well, I no, I don't want I don't want people having sex with robots. I don't want people having conversations with robots. I don't think robots should exist. Period. Like I'm so against AI. Like. Hardcore. Rob has become Sarah Connor. He's going to try to blow up Cyberdyne. <laughs> he's going to be put. He's going to be put in like the state penitentiary. He's got to break out with the help of a sentient robot. It's tune in. Tune in next week when I ask Zach, "Is that your artificial intelligence wife? Is that your artificial intelligence baby?" <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Nice family. Is she a Terminator too? That's your little Terminator kid. Yeah, Rob, I think we're slowly learning that Rob is Linda Hamilton. That's just I who hate, he is. I hate robots. I hate artificial intelligence. I hate it. We don't need it. Stop it. Everybody, please. But back to Tomorrowland, which is a very <laughs> heavy artificial intelligence movie. Oh, boy, uh, is Ra it? Raffi Cassidy has a great performance. She's awesome. She, the character she plays uh, deserves to die as quickly as possible. But other than that... There's a few things I wanted to highlight that I had problems with this film. I think that's where we were at, right? Something yeah. like that. Um, fuck this movie for implying 
that Tesla and Edison would work on anything together. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, yes, yeah. I know, I know this has been said. I, uh, I actually did some research. I listened to some reviews of this movie. That's a big one that came up. I even know there's a line in the movie where, where George Clooney says, like, and they hated each other, but they thought this was worth their collaboration, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it completely. Uh, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? That was that stood out to me, of course. You know, yeah. And I, it's, it's once I once I know. read that a lot of people had commented on it, I kind of pulled back. But just just no, that's that's ridiculous. The thing that I was actually upset that most people didn't look uh, or or hook onto is that right after that scene, when George Clooney and the gang are in the Eiffel Tower and they see the wax figures of the people who you know created the spaceship or transport to Tomorrowland, whatever you want to call it. The way that George Clooney is able to summon the rocket ship, he puts a cylindrical vinyl record yep. on a player. Zach, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. A cylindrical vinyl record is incredibly rare. Like they make, like they make that pretty. They make a big point of that in the film. I remember them saying something like that. Well, they they make a big point of it in the sense that it's a line. They don't go yeah. any further than that. Do you really want a subplot of that in this film where they have to go? Of course he has it. That, yes! That... Yes, I want a subplot because if Zach clearly does not remember, one of the hallmarks of the ancient TV channel G4, the video game channel, was when somebody on one of their shows held a circular vinyl record and said... This is a one-of-a-kind item and proceeded to drop it. Do you remember that? No. So this is a one-of-a-kind piece. There's no other one like this particular one in the world. And you can see the tracks go this way. And um, it's really cool because it, it records much more accurately than... Oh, f shit. Oh, my God. Um, well, that does happen every uh, once in a while. That can't be good. Uh, now, uh, is, is, are you done with that? Uh, then? Yeah, I'm done with that. All right. Someone, I, someone on. I'm not making this up. I'm going to put the clip in and everything because I saved it. I love this clip so much. Someone on G4 TV on Attack of the Show had a circular vinyl record and was talking about how rare it was and dropped it and broke it on live TV. That actually happened. I don't doubt it, but I don't. That's it. why. That's why I want this. To harp on it more, like we just get George Clooney going, oh, look at this technology I have. Boop, 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 boop. We're blasting off. And it's like, no, like the things you should be focusing on aren't focused on. Oh, God. The, every level of this movie, I have problems with tech. <laughs> I, I know you do, but I think you. This is the weird thing about Rob is that Rob kind of like doesn't know when to check his expectations. Um, I know this, that. This, I, this I, this was an everything is wrong with it movie. Absolutely. I think I know where Zach's going. And this was literally, I had no reservations. Like nothing was sacred when I watched but this, this movie. Is the, but this is the weird thing though. Is that, like I went into this in 2015 with, I don't want to say sky high expectations, but I went, I think with higher expectations than Rob did. And obviously I, we both. I, know, we no, both, I never saw this till we I know, I know, talked but, about it. I know, but the thing is I went into this in 2015 with years of expectations and I, we both got the same film, and I was okay with it. 
you go in with zero expectations and somehow you're more frustrated with it than I am, which I think is fascinating. True, but, but, you know, at the same time, I would say I did not go into it with zero expectations. I went into it with the year and a half of Cinemodity's expectations of just very brief tangential comments okay. about it. Okay, all I ever said for year for the last year and a half, almost two years, was the crazy movie where George Clooney falls Clooney in falls love, in with, love with a robot girl, yes! And did I lie? Did the movie, did no, the movie... no, you you didn't lie, but I, I cannot deny that that shaped my opinion of this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rob, that this film did not harp more on weird robo no, pedophilia. No, I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not saying it as a negative thing is like i went into this movie with nothing but your slight comment to me about it and i think that that's not a negative thing but that's why i was kind of going into it with the sense of oh my god this is going to be crazy this is going to be weird this is going to be something i had to pick apart you know and i, I think to be to be <laughs> fair i think this is this is the antithesis to men, women, and children. Because when you sent me men, women, and children, you had so much to say. You were like, this is crazy. Oh, this is raunchy. And I got hung up on the message of that movie. I'm going to, to this day, I stand to the fact I hate men, women, and children because we don't need a movie to tell us that human relationships are fucked. Just like Interstellar. That's a waste of a movie because we don't need <gasps> a movie to tell us that children right, are okay. important. Folks, no, folks, let me finish. Him. This movie is completely different me. because you did not, there is no message to this movie. I don't disagree with the message to this movie. A lot of other movies we talk about, I fundamentally disagree with the message and that blinds me from analyzing it any further. I don't care about the message to this movie. That's why I have so many problems with it. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at, Zach? Like I hated, like I could not see past how offensive the message of men, women, and children was to me. Like I, could, I, I still, to this day, cannot get past that. But this movie didn't have a message that offended me, so I'm ready to analyze every little nitty and gritty detail about it. Is this the, is this the best episode we've ever recorded? No, I, it might be one of the worst. <laughs> I oh. think this is the greatest. This is what our audience... We mentioned Scott E., we mentioned Emily in this episode, and now we're getting it are arguments about random movies that aren't related to the movie we're discussing. <laughs> so much B-roll, folks. I so much B-roll. Love it. This is why we do this podcast. All right, have... Rob. Cinemati is that a countdown? Movie. Is that a countdown? The countdown is, is for me touching the pin. I'm going to go to Tomorrowland. Is the thing that's counting favorite. down a countdown? As an emissary of Tomorrowland, I have to realize you don't get a pin. There's a reason why I have the pin. You is don't that a countdown? <laughs> Is your clock counting down to a countdown? <laughs> Fuck this. Fuck Gal McFace. Fuck her. Okay, before we get into the questions, there's actually legitimately there's one more. thing. There's more. There is more. One, there's a lot more. Like I said, I have three pages of notes. We could go on forever. Yo, we haven't even talked about the third act of this movie with the tachyons. I'm going to get to that. But before we get to that, I want to know if you noticed a few times in the first act of this movie, like the first 30 to 50 minutes, we see a fucking billboard multiple times. That it, And all that it says on the billboard is Toxicosmos 3, nowhere to go. Did you pick up on this? Vaguely. I remember the billboard, but not really well. I don't. So, so we see this a few times, which is why I made a note about it, because what the hell is this? The thing I want to point out, though, 
is that Toxicosmos 3, Nowhere to Go, is stylized with a colon after Toxicosmos. So it's Toxicosmos colon 3. And then on a new line, Nowhere to Go. You don't have, I, I could not find anything about this in my research. I was hoping you would have something, but this is just nonsense, right? It's, yeah, that, but that, that didn't really, in all things considered, that didn't really phase me. Okay, okay, fair. I just, I picked up on it because, you know, I'm a, I'm a fiend like that. Um, but I think I would now like to go to the third act of the movie. Overall, I hated this. This is when I started screaming curse words at my TV because. In the third act of this movie, when our characters arrive in Tomorrowland, they are very quickly introduced to the fact that they can see themselves in the future because of tachyon resonance. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie for Casey figuring out how to arm a bomb because she can see herself arming the bomb in the future. Fuck this movie for... Raffy Cassidy saving George Clooney from a bullet strike or a laser strike because she saw it in the future. I hated this more than anything. This is bad writing to the goddamn maximum, Zach, and I would love to get your opinion on this. What did you think about this whole, literally, the only reason the last 30 minutes of this movie works is because our characters can see themselves in the future? What are your thoughts? I've already gone through this with you. This was a patch job. They needed to make this work in the most condensed way this possible. Is, no, this is beyond a patch job. This is... If this is a patch I job... Ne I never like said it was a good you, patch job. This is, if this is a patch job, this is somebody using duct tape as a band-aid. That's how bad this is. I never said it was a good patch job. God damn it, you're right. This is so stupid, isn't it? I fucking hate... I was... Like I said, I was screaming at my television. Fuck the fact that she knows how to stop the bad guys because she sees it two seconds into the future. Fuck that. That is the worst thing. This is worse than Watchmen. This is worse than Euphoria. Worse than Euphoria the last two episodes. The first six episodes are... Uh, a worse than all of horrible. Euphoria. All of Euphoria. Two, please. <laughs> I would we like are, to save two characters, please. <laughs> We don't need carbs. <laughs> I hated this. I hated the end of this movie because it was literally like, okay, we can see through all time forever. It becomes paycheck. And it's just like, we can see the future. We can see the past. Nothing matters. But we're still going to beat the bad guys because of, you know, just fucking reasons. And God, oh, this was terrible to me. I hated it. I hated it. It was it was it was condensing a trope to every second. I can't describe it any other way. Like there is nothing to the end of this movie. It's just, oh, we wrote a hole for our characters and we're gonna watch them fall through it for 20 minutes. Fuck that! Like, come on. <laughs> this is clause level writing, as far folks, as I'm concerned. Folks, I never anticipated this conversation. I expected him to be kind of like, yeah, I don't like it, but it's fine for what it is. This is so excited bad! About. Like, I, you know me, Zach. I love me some Lindelof. Like, yes, Lindelof on You Lost, don't like Lindelof. You like no, Lindelof. Yeah, he, got, he got hijacked by Abrams and Qs, and I know that whole story after the writer's strike. 
I never saw Prometheus, but I'm I'm hoping like this movie has so much promise and it falls apart to fucking garbage nonsense in the end. But all Lindelof does is garbage nonsense. He trades in that exclusively. <sighs> I I haven't seen all the leftovers yet, but that's where it seems the leftovers are going. <laughs> oh God. I don't want to accept this, but it's just every God damn it. Zach, <laughs> this podcast makes me depressed. <laughs> I never expected it. See, folks, this is oddly appropriate for the final episode of 2019. Oddly appropriate. Yes, and Hugh Laurie even starts talking about tachyons in this movie. And I'm like, when's Dr. Manhattan going to show up and change the course of the universe? I hate everything about God. God damn it. What are we doing next week? Vanilla Sky? Is that, I, don't, I don't think that's going to be better. <laughs> no, oh God, Rob! It has one of the great has one of the greatest lines of dialogue in cinematic history. Oh my God! I'm oh my God! We haven't even hit two years, and I'm losing steam. Zach, I hated everything about this last act of this movie. It was useless. All right, Rob, cinematic and or late night movie. Oh, I have an, I have one last thing before we oh, hit. The- my, how many one last things? Many. <laughs> this this is probably going to be the last thing. Get um, out of your system, Rob. I Get out I of your I noticed two very subtle yet I thought very explicit references to other films in this film. The first comes when uh, Gal McFace is trying to break into George Clooney's house to get him to teleport her to Tomorrowland. She lights the combine tractor on fire. And George Clooney pulls out a steampunk fire extinguisher. And after he unleashes this fire extinguisher on this tractor, we get a great shot where we get almost 75% of the screen is this frozen tractor. And we get George Clooney on the right. To me, I could not think of anything but Batman and Robin. Because there is a scene in Batman and Robin... Where the Batmobile breaks through a frozen ice barricade to get to Arnold Schwarzenegger's temple or tomb or lair or whatever you want to call it. And his henchmen bust out the freeze guns. And the way that the Batmobile freezes with all the icicles going backwards like it was sprayed at looks identical to this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, And so I saw this and I was like, oh, my God, George Clooney. Just froze a Batmobile like Arnold Schwarzenegger froze a Batmobile. I that was just hardcore, uh, right up front to me. I loved that. The other thing I have to mention is that we get a scene kind of uh, a little bit later on, which made me think of uh, House because Hugh Laurie, of course, is our villain. He's the Tomorrowland ruler, and. It's not when he dies, because we get a great death scene, a great 90s action death scene where something's falling on the villain, and Hugh Laurie goes, oh, bollocks. But before that, a pillar falls on Hugh Laurie's right leg. Yep. Of course, Hugh Laurie's most famous role, I would say, is Dr. House from the TV show, all eight seasons, and he has an injured right leg. In all of house. So I took that as a house reference. That his right leg gets crushed. Had to mention that. Had to mention that. Zach. Had to mention that. <laughs> we, got a, we got a Batman and Robin reference. We got a house reference. That's all I got. But uh, uh, tune in next week when Zach and I start going through house. 
episode by episode, week by week. Right? Folks, not to be a podcast next week at the rate Rob's going. Rob that's can't the hand- next. That's the ne- That's have- how we're going to start the new year. We're going to do house episode by episode. I, I, folks, I'm terrified. Next month's series is incomprehensible blockbusters. Oh, I'm excited. It, no, I'm not because I, I. This is your reaction to this. How are you going to handle like? All these other weird ass wonky movies. I mean, I oh, I think I think we've handled this already. When you l- uploaded Charlie's Angels full throttle into Dropbox, oh, no, I texted you and I said, "What the fuck is this doing in Dropbox?" <laughs> so we're ready for this. I'm not gonna. Oh. I'm not happy. I'm happy about Vanilla Sky. I'm not happy about anything else. Well, Giggly is. I'm happy about Giggly. To be fair, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, what, okay, well, I think it's more more Rob appropriate, incomprehensible. Rob can't handle things that I think I finally come to the conclusion. Rob can't handle things that don't make like one plus one equals two cents. This any- is this is Zach saying I don't know how to put Rob on further probation. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. No, I I'm excited. Argue. I think we're gonna handle it. You just gave me you gave me something I fucking absolutely hated this week. You know. I don't think I'm gonna hate Vanilla Sky, but you know You're gonna hate Vanilla Sky. You're gonna hate if you uh, if you hate this, you're gonna hate Vanilla Sky. Yeah, this, I, I've this you're gonna hate, and I you're gonna hate, I, I, I kinda hated this on a fundamental level more than a film level, you know? You're, you're gonna hate that just as much, and you're probably gonna hate Charlie's Angels full throttle even more. Oh my god, I can't wait till we get to the movies we love series. <laughs> I'm really tempted now for to do Interstellar for that. You know what? I, I oh, really want to. No, that is not a movie that has unexpected love. That makes sense I, that you would love that. Oh, it does? So I so I love a stupid movie, Rob? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going, I'm going, I'm doubling down. I'm getting angry, <laughs> Zach, right now. We're having a oh, time. We're having so, a time. Shots fired, folks. Shots fired. <laughs> end of the year. End of 2018. Zach and I are having a fucking time over here. <laughs> Before we get into our questions... Zach, as we mentioned earlier, you sent me two other videos to watch. Are oh, we going to no. discuss those? Well, okay, Plus Ultra. I sent Rob one video about the history of Plus Ultra. We're not getting into that. The other one is... What are we going to do tonight, Brain? The same thing we do every night. Take over yeah. the world. <laughs> yes. well, all right, Rob, you want to tell people about Hugh Laurie yells at children for five minutes? Okay, so uh, in this movie, Tomorrowland, that we've been discussing, uh, I think we <laughs> mentioned that uh, Hugh Laurie was the villain. Of course, Dr. House plays the villain. He gives a great villainous monologue that uh, chews the scenery fantastically. But Zach sent me uh, a little bit before we started recording today uh, a YouTube video, which was David Nick's outtakes. David Nix, of course, was the character that Hugh Laurie played in Tomorrowland. And for some reason, something was shot where David Nix, Hugh Laurie's character, was introducing kids' videos? Is that the best way to put it? I don't know. It's supposed to be an introduction to, like, a a Disney special, like, back in, like, the 60s. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, the collection of, of, of outtakes, as I think it's called, is formatted as lost tapes. Where it's yeah. just kind of lost tape segments all edited together with, you know, kind of the boop in between every single one. That steady tone. Um, and my first note when I watched this, it's about five minutes long. Is this just Brad Bird letting Hugh Laurie riff as if he was house? Because <laughs> that's what it seems like to me. It's just Hugh Laurie playing that angry person. That's what I, because I, that's the first time I've ever seen it was today. 
I think that was um I think that's left over from what Hugh Laurie's original I don't mean like in the sense of like footage. I mean yeah. that was probably more indicative of who who his character was gonna be in the final film before they I, they revised it. I have to agree with you completely because when I watched this, I was actually surprised. There there is more Hugh Laurie in this than the actual movie, I think it's yeah, fair exactly. to say. And and when I watched this, I was like, oh, He's going for like his character in a bit of Fry and Laurie, which is Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie's sketch comedy show, which we didn't, we unfortunately did not cover in the sketch comedy fort month. But the next sketch comedy fort month, you better believe we're going into British territory. And I, that's kind of how I grabbed it. Like Hugh Laurie was doing his shtick from his comedy stuff, where he was just that dry, angry person. And that's where we got those clips that I mentioned before, like in the future. Nope, nope, please, please don't touch that. And then, you know, we can grow anything we want. Are we growing French fries? And he goes, do you think it's likely that we could grow French fries? How would we do that? Is it even despicable or desirable that we would grow French fries? Seeing that French fries are merely potatoes burnt to a crisp and hydrogenated oil. It's perfect Hugh Laurie kind of dealings. And I'm glad you bring this up, Zach. Because now I kind of see it. This would make sense in the in the context of the movie if we had more of him in the film. If he was more developed as a character. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I would like that too. But clearly uh, somebody didn't like it. I have, a, I have a question for you at the end of this video. Uh, Hugh Laurie is angry. He walks off screen. There's still some kids around. And a little girl says something. I want to know, do you know what this little girl says? I listened uh, to this so many fucking times. She says the something. Okay, before before you answer that, say? the subtitles for this YouTube video are in Russian. I cannot read Russian. Are they really? The transcript of the YouTube video says her words are, can we Harry Meltdown? That makes no sense. Harry as in the name. Can we Harry Meltdown? What the fuck is she saying? I don't know, Rob. I think it's kind of like, can we? Are we finished here yet, or can we come down now, or can we stop now? I think it's something like that. I think that's what you want to say to me, not what this girl is saying. Well, maybe that was Freudian slip, folks. It was. I don't know the what the fuck. I listened to this so many goddamn times, I cannot make out what she's saying, and neither can the captions or the subtitles or the transcript. It's fucked. <laughs> I don't know, Rob. I really, uh, I thought it was hysterical as I was watching it, and I figured I'd pass it on to you, knowing your affinity for Dr. House. But uh, I, no, I, love I love it. No, it, it's him riffing on House. I love that whole monologue. Do you think it's likely we could grow French fries? It's fantastic. We're going to get the whole clip in here. Um, but I guess then that brings us to the other clip you sent me, the origins of Plus Ultra. This seemed to have a kind of sense that Almost it would have played before the movie, like an animated short. Is there more history to it? Uh, I, I think it, that was, I forget when that, that was released before the film came out. But I do think, oh, okay. considering, considering that that took effort to do, that probably also was indicative of a larger emphasis on Tomorrowland and its foundation than what we got in the final film, where it's like one sequence and that's it. I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's another kind of uh, relic of a film that we'll never get to see. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. I I actually dug that segment. I love the kind of pendulum swinging back and forth, revealing different parts of history. That was all cool. Yeah, it was neat. No, that's why I sent it to you. I figured just a little bit more uh, context. 
All right. Well, I guess after all this time, we will uh, start going through the plot of this movie. So Tomorrowland begins oh, with no. George Clooney. Oh, there. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess we should no. talk about, We forgot to mention that Tim McGraw is her father and the Rainmaker from Looper is her brother. Yes, I, I did notice that, that not only is the Rainmaker from Looper her brother, but young George Clooney is young um, Noah from Heroes, who's an, oh, really? equally, an equally evil child. There were two evil children in this film. How about and I, I definitely was like, what the fuck am I supposed to take from this? <laughs> yeah. Other than that, I'm ready. I'm ready for the All questions, right. Zach. Yeah, All right. let's, let's Cinematity, absolutely, because it's basically an unfinished film. Never mind. It's kind of baffling that a uh, multi-billion dollar multinational corporation will release something as incomprehensible as this, thus making it a cinematity. Uh, when I originally thought of this idea for a podcast like this, this is exactly the type of film I'd love to discuss, the idea of a just bizarre products coming out, being churned out by a corporation like Disney. As for a late-night movie... Uh, I know Rob's going to disagree with this, but I'm oh going to say God. sure, sure, why not? A very passive. Okay, Rob, and you're and you're making your note in the spreadsheet, right? Pass, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then like a little note that says a passive yes. I cannot wait till our two year extravaganza episode because I'm very much intending to read off some of the entries in our spreadsheet because the thing that we relegate ourselves to yes or no questions have a slew of fantastic phrases in them. <laughs> It'll be fun. It'll be fun. So, Rob, oh, yeah. what, 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 okay, I would imagine I can probably guess what your cinemati and late night status is Oh, oh, okay, since you said it, uh, cinemati, let's start with, what do you guess? You think I said yes or no? I figured yes is a cinemati because of just how inexplicable this can be. Okay. Late night movie because F this movie. Late night, you're saying yes or no? Which was, no, which was you no, get? no for you. God, so you're saying yes to Cinemodities, no to Late Night. That's your guess? Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Zach hit the nail on the head. My Cinemodities answer is a hell yes. This is crazy. I I, I think this uh, hits the nail on the head for Cinemodities. It's perfect. Everything we said about it, no matter how many problems I have with it, this is just all over the place. Brad Bird putting his color palette on these things, which I guess we only mentioned at the start. I loved it as Cinemodities. Late night, my verbatim answer in my notes is no, no more watch, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, okay. That, that, now that sounds more like Rob. So yes, yes, to, hell yes to Cinemodities. And late night, no, no more watch, please. Uh, Brad Bird, you're, you're a great artistic director, but you do not fit the bill for what I think of of late night movies. I mean, I still haven't seen Ghost Protocol, so at least what I've seen of Brad Bird. All right, Rob, snack. Okay. So I only have two snacks. Oh, thank God. One, <laughs> one of them is not a snack. We get a great scene in this film where um, our main blonde girl character, Girl McFace, she is touching the pin at the beginning of the movie, seeing the grandiose image of Tomorrowland. And while she is on the tram, or the monorail, I should say, in Tomorrowland, she looks out the window and observes multi-leveled swimming pools. Yes. In which people are jumping into pools of water, and if you could imagine a cylinder of water, its center of gravity is right at the middle. 
If you're above the center of gravity, it would float to the top, but if you're below the center of gravity, it would push you down, in which you could dive to another cylinder of water. I This is the best part about this movie, Zach. Multi-leveled swimming pools. Everybody, don't watch this movie. Watch this part of this movie. When we see people dive from different layers of water to other layers of water. Zach, this was so cool. This is why I think I kind of love Brad Bird and his creativity because he put something like this in there. Did this stand out to you? These multi-leveled swimming pools? Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. It's one of the more striking scenes. That's so cool. That's a visually striking image of an idea that we don't have in reality. It's fucking fantastic, and we need to recreate it in a restaurant, right? Sure, Rob. I love that idea. I would do that. Like, could you imagine just diving from pool to pool? Like, you get four good dives in before you take a slide and do the exit. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Love that. It's probably my favorite part of the movie. It took the snacks to get my favorite part of the movie. (laughs) All right, Rob, what's the other snack? The other snack is uh, playing off the idea, since we have at our access an infinite void of space for this restaurant. We agree with that, right? You agree with me? Oh, yeah. Yes, we have an infinite void of space. Why not, as a form of transportation throughout this infinite void of space, we have a teleportation device. Not only is it any teleportation device, it's the exact same teleportation device that our characters in Tomorrowland use. Yes, Zach, the one that depletes Uh 90% of your blood sugar after you take it. And that's a scene we did not mention in this film. Uh, Cassie Rafferty, Raffy Cassidy, whatever her name is, uh, Guy Guy McGal, McFace McGal, McGal, and George Clooney. They all go in a teleporter, and the humans need sugar because this teleporter depletes their blood sugar. Here's the kicker, Zach. We offer this as a transportation method throughout our restaurant, but we upcharge the shit out of them for Coca-Cola when they land. So I'm talking like people are going to get out of this teleporter dying for sugar water, and we charge them a good 15 bucks for a can of Coke. What do you think? Fifteen bucks. That seems cheap. Okay, okay, thirty-five bucks. Let's do it. I'm. <laughs> let's 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 push it, Zach. That's what I want to talk to you about. What do you think is What do you think is the right price for people who need blood sugar? I figure at least fifty. Fifty. Oh, for a bottle. Bottle. If we call it fifty-two, it ties into Tomorrowland. There you go. Ooh. Okay, fifty-two dollars for a can of Coke. Bottle. Bottle, coke. bottle. You want it in glass? That's a lot to ship. That's a, but that's you know what makes it look good. It's perceived value. I mean, it makes it look good, but I mean, we have to pay Perce- for that shipping. Perceived value. I mean, how do we? I mean, what is? How do we quantify shipping cost? Like the fucking distributors have to ship shit to our docking bay, but then we have to ship it to an infinite void. Like that's we Rob, haven't we quantified it, that we, in our books we yet. We ship it via the teleportation. Is, but won't that remove the sugar? Isn't that isn't that the issue we're facing? That if we ship sugar-filled drinks, it's going to remove does the it, sugar. And then how do we how do we feed Coke to Coke? How do we do that? How do we mix sugar with how do we mix sugar water with sugar water? Oh my God! I feel like we need the dude from Thank You for Smoking to just pitch this for us. 
Why sugar water is the best thing possible? All right, folks, I'm going to propose my snack. My snack is going to be a cyanide capsule, not to get out of the film, but to get out of the conversation. That's what I recommend, folks. At the end of this episode, I want you to bite down on your on your back left molar. And Don't bite down. God damn it. Lizard. Give me a name. Give me a name. Oh, I, uh, I hate I hate to break this to you, Zach, but I, I lied. I actually found a third snack. I had oh, God. And it's a simple one. It's three words. Grown French fries. I want us to grow our own French fries. <laughs> I didn't notice it. It's the very last line. I, I had the whole semicolon separated though. Grown French fries. We're gonna grow our own French fries. Do you wanna do you wanna do it? Should I do it? Okay, I'm gonna do it. Do you think it's likely that we could grow French fries? How would we do that? Is it even de- desirable that we grow French fries? Seeing the French fries are merely potatoes. Burnt to a crisp in hydrogenated oil. Is that a good thing? Do we want to grow French fries? Don't nod. Don't nod. I said, don't nod. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Rob. We're going to play It's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow in Reverse. I hated this movie, but I loved this movie at the same time. This This is truly everything I hoped for, Zach. After almost a year and a half of you telling me about it, I hated it and loved it at the same time. Alrighty, folks, see you next year with Vanilla Sky, where Rob goes on another rant as to why something doesn't make sense and just can't accept the fact that not everything needs to make sense in a movie. Well, no, this just this didn't make sense from any point of view. Funny enough, he'll say the exact same thing next oh, week God, on Vanilla Sky. Oh, God damn it, I haven't Sky. seen Vanilla Sky yet. I can't defend that. And away we go. A big thank you to Anna Superiority Complex or provide. Oh God, wrong podcast. I was about to say what is going on. <laughs> wrong podcast. Okay, please do not delete that. Save that. That that is a great outtake. That might be the greatest outtake. <laughs> I was about to lose my mind. I, I, there were so many curses I had planned that were about to go out the window. 